to another installment of Talk More Talk. This is a solo Beatles video cast. We talk about John, Paul, George, and Ringo, uh, usually after the breakup, but sometimes also when they were together, such as evidenced recently with the big release of Peter Jackson's wonderful docuseries, Get Back. I'm Joe Mayo, and you probably know me from my YouTube channel, Mean Mr. Mayo. And uh, before we get started here, I'm going to introduce my co-host, and we have a guest. Let's start with the queen of all Beatles media. I used to call her the Sun Queen, but I haven't <laughs> said that in a while. So, hey, Sun Queen. Uh, we're going to uh, talk about a couple of her books that I got committed to memory. Let's see if I, I got them written down just in case I forget them. Of course, we got <laughs> Michael Jackson, FAQ, Songs We Were Singing, Guided Tours Through the Beatles' Lesser Known Tracks, and Fandom and the Beatles, which I have handy. The act you've known for all these years, Ken Womack, also. Very okay, good. Okay, it's Kid O'Toole. Hi, Kid. Hi, Joe. Hello, Tom, Ken, and our special guest, which we'll reveal in just, <laughs> in just a moment. <laughs> yeah, and I'll try to move to it along. with you all. So he doesn't have to wait too long. Yep. Uh, okay, next up. Uh, we have. Don't let him wait too long. I was gonna yeah. say that. I, <laughs> I said I said I set that up pretty good. Yeah. Yes, you did. Not not, not intentionally, but it just right. worked out mm-hmm. that way. Uh, okay, uh, we have uh, one of the hosts uh, from the Paul McCartney centric podcast, Two Legs. Andy Nichols is one of the hosts, and we have here on Talk More Talk our regular buddy Tom Hanyadi. Hey, Tom. Hey, Joe, Ken, Kit, and. Uh... And our wonderful guest, uh, I'm looking forward to talking some George Harrison today. There you go. Uh, Next up, he's chalked up nearly 40 years, right, in radio. (laughs) And his syndicated Beatles show is called Every Little Thing, which I don't know if I ever told you, but I used to do things when I was younger, putting a lot of Beatles songs, usually A to Z and stuff, solo Mm -hmm. and group. And I used to call my series Every Little Thing. So it's it's very appropriate for that. I'm not saying you stole it from me. I'm just, I'm just, I, I just, this seems like weird. This this is very Twilight Zone-ish. <laughs> Every little thing, good title. And of course, uh, he also has a podcast called Things We Said Today. And if you haven't checked it out already, it's on YouTube and other places. But on YouTube, you can go over there and you can see it's a, a, a nearly four-hour interview mm-hmm. with Peter Jackson. It's you amazing. Know, get back. Great. And, yeah. you know, Still can't believe and, it happened. <laughs> yeah, you have to. You have to see it. Yeah. Uh, and he has a YouTube channel uh, called Ken Michaels Radio, and I'm talking, of course, about Ken Michaels. Hello, Ken. 
Hey, Joe, Kit, Tom, mm. special guest. <laughs> Let's get to our, our and everybody out there right. in TV land tonight. He's the one where you say last but not least. And our special guest, he's the author of The Beatles Let It Be, which is uh, one of the 33 and a third series of books, which Kid is holding up. I believe you did another one called Dylan. Am I right? That's not uh, part of the 33 and a third series, but my first book is on Bob Dylan. And there you go. But if this was a Bob Dylan, uh, you know, show, we'd be able to talk all about that. I like Dylan. But uh, I'm talking about the author and friend of ours, Steve Mateo. Hello, Steve. Well, Hi. Thanks a lot. It's great to be here. Great to right. have you. And yeah, awesome. As uh, one, of, one of, I think Tom was alluding to, we're going to be talking about George Harrison on this show. But before we do, we have Ken Michaels and the news. So, Ken, take it away. Okay. Well, thank you, Joe. <laughs> um, this is something I only learned about in the last couple of days. With special thanks to two of our listeners, Kevin Tobin and Adam Wobken. Uh, we learned that Ringo Starr is on a new charity album that's been released called Songs from Quarantine Volume 2, released by the Music Health Alliance Corporation. It includes 14 songs from various artists to benefit the Music Health Alliance, an organization that offers support to the music community nationwide, including critical mental health and COVID-19 resources, in addition to access to healthcare, medicines, diagnostic tests, health-related debt relief, and more. And Ringo has covered the 50s rocker, See You Later Alligator, <laughs> on this compilation. And that was a hit in 1955 for Bill Haley and his comments. And you know that on his last EP, um, he covered Rock Around the Clock. His EP you know, changed you know the world. You know, Ken, somebody said that on one of my videos, he put it in a comment, and I thought they were being sarcastic as a knock against him doing Rock Around the Clock. I didn't know it was legitimate. So No, this is really true. Mm. Yeah, but um, maybe Ringo has Bill Haley on the brain at the moment. <laughs> yeah. But uh, two covers of Bill Haley classics that he's just released. And other artists on this new compilation include Cheryl Crow, Guy Clark, Shelby Lynn, Rodney Crowell, Willie Nelson and others. Um, I haven't seen it listed on Amazon, but it is available digitally through Rodney Crowell's Bandcamp page. So you can actually find the link to purchase it on our Facebook page for Talk More Talk. I put it there uh, a couple hours ago and also on my uh, Facebook page for Ken Michaels. The Beatles Let It Be album, which uh, with its archival edition, had re-entered the top 10 in its first week of release at number seven, had already dropped down to 137 oh, on nice. Billboard's top 200 charts, but this week jumps back to number 80. Oh, no good. doubt, yeah, from all the attention mm. of Get Back on the Disney Plus channel. Now, I didn't know about this till Tom just sent me the link, but we note this is very ironic since we're mm. doing the show tonight on George Harrison, which we're doing because of the 20th anniversary of George's passing, which was November 29th. But we note the passing of Dennis O'Brien. Uh, Dennis was the co-founder of Handmade Films, and he was 80 years old. He was also George's business manager, and Handmade was in business from 1978 through 1991. This partnership ended up in court 
O'Brien was ordered by a California judge in 1996 to pay George damages of $11 million mm. for alleged mismanagement of the company finances. And three months before George died, a judge rejected George's effort to stop O'Brien from declaring bankruptcy. Mm. So it did not end on a good note, the relationship mm. between George no. and Dennis O'Brien. But um, if you've seen the documentary, hold it up there, Tom. He's always ready. <laughs> An Accidental Studio, which came out a couple of years ago. Really yeah. a great, great documentary on, yeah, on handmade films. Yeah. It goes into detail on this. And Dennis really had visions of grandeur for this <laughs> company. And I think he was far more aggressive. He wanted you know, to have blockbuster films. Right, right. George was more concerned about making nice little films right. that made some profit. He didn't really care about it being the biggest film company in the world, but Dennis did. So evidently there were financial problems and um, yeah, it's very sad. And it but, sucks uh, when both people aren't on the same page, you know? Yeah. Stuff like that can happen all the time, but yeah, they do cover it in the documentary and I do recommend if you haven't seen it yet, please, uh, you can still probably get the, the Blu-ray or DVD on Amazon. So check it out. Yeah. I think most of us, even the biggest of Beatle fans, haven't yeah. seen the great majority of handmade films right. that were made. I mean, for me, obviously, Life of Brian. And yeah. you got to give, yeah. you know, everything right started. Yeah. Yeah. Time Bandits. Lisa. Time, time Bandits, Mona Lisa. Great stuff. Yeah. And of course, Shanghai Surprise. Shanghai Surprise. Yeah. Um, but there were a whole bunch of other films that did really yeah. well in England. Mm -hmm. And handmade films was actually like the, one of the top two or three film companies did really well for that period of time until towards the end. Anyway, so speaking of charities, as we mentioned, the new uh, compilation that Ringo's on, Beetlefan reports that a collectible limited edition has been made available by Yoko Ono and Sean Ono Lennon of 50 12 inch vinyl acetates of John and Yoko's festive single, Happy Christmas War is Over. It was released yesterday, December 5th, to mark the 50th anniversary of the original recording and release in 1971. The first 25 acetates will be given to hand-picked music charities and nonprofit and grassroots organizations who do great work across the UK music scene. The other 25 acetates will be available at select record shops yep. across the UK in cities including Liverpool, Manchester, Leeds, Edinburgh, Dundee, Belfast, London, and others. Really great idea to give it out. To, yeah, to some um, some people have been showing them on Twitter uh, really? yesterday. Yeah, showing that they've got it. it looks <laughs> it looks really looks really nice. Mm. Okay, great idea. Uh, Mary McCartney appeared on Morning Joe. That's Joe Scarborough's morning show on MSNBC this morning. Mary is the host of a vegetarian cooking show on Discovery Plus called Mary McCartney Serves It Up. Now starting its second season. Mary was interviewed by Joe and his staff and spoke about being brought up as a vegetarian and that it was never anything that was forced on the family. And it's something she's always felt comfortable with. She enjoys making very quick, easy meals for people. Each of her shows has her cooking four recipes followed by an interview with a celebrity. Mary also says she likes to make meals for her guests and friends that cater to their specific favorite flavors. She also spoke of her love for photography, which came from her mother. Um, she's been able to take some great photos, especially portrait shots and celebrities 
in a casual atmosphere. Very good interview this morning hmm. on MSNBC. And, you know, this could have been the number one news story. <laughs> we are very proud to announce yes. that our colleague and frequent yes. member of Talk More Talk, hmm. Ken Womack, will be releasing two books on the Beatles road manager, friend, and confidant, Mal Evans. Yep. All right, we can all applaud. Mal's legacy is in good hands. Yes, it is. <sighs> Absolutely. The first volume is a uh, full-length biography on Mal coming out in 2023. The second will include Evans' diaries, manuscripts, and numerous other ar artifacts from the family archives coming out in 2024. According to its press release, for decades, the mystery surrounding Evans' treasure trove of unreleased material has left Beatle fans and music historians alike longing for a glimpse into the life and times of this most devoted friend among their inner circle. Mal Evans is also seen as a central figure in uh, the footage in Peter Jackson's new Get Back uh, docuseries. In 2020, the Evans family turned to leading Beatles authority, Ken Womack, <laughs> to bring Mal's archives to the world. Evans' vast, never-before-seen archive includes diaries, manuscripts, and photographs associated with the Beatles and is viewed as a holy grail when it comes to understanding the band's unparalleled legacy. Now, Gary Evans, that's Mal's son, says, my dad meant the world to me. He was my hero. Before Ken joined the project, I thought I knew the story of my dad, but what I knew was in monochrome. 15 months later, it is like The Wizard of Oz, which was dad's favorite film, because Ken has added so much color, so much light to his story. Ken has shown me that dad was the Beatles' greatest friend. He was lucky to meet them, but they had more good fortune with dad walking down the cavern steps for the first time. What I've discovered, uh, what Ken says, what I've discovered in this archive is more than I could have ever truly imagined. I am honored and thrilled to present this biography and accompanying materials with the historical integrity that they deserve. And you know, with Ken working on this, mm. you're gonna get top quality mm. all the way with these books. You know, for so long, we've been wondering what's in these diaries and <laughs> Mal had plans of releasing them. Um, but unfortunately he was killed in uh, 1975 or 76. I think in January. Yeah, and it never happened, but now it's finally going to come out. We'll still have to wait a little while, but it's worth the wait. He's and it's going to be it. it's going to be fresh material. I mean, stuff we not we haven't had a lot of, on a person that I'm interested in reading a lot about because it's not the stuff we've been through a lot. You know, right. Plus, it's coming from an insider. Yeah. Yep. Insider. Yeah. Son, you can't get more inside than that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, short of Neil Aspinall, who obviously will never yeah. see anything from, right. I think Mal would be, you know, the best person. And, mm. and Ken is certainly, um, I mean, I, I couldn't think of a better person than Ken. I'm, mm. I, I was, it was great because Ken and I have gotten to know each other over the years. And he contacted me whenever it was and asked me to supply a chapter for the Beatles in Context book. Mm. Yep. So that was great yep. being part of that. You know, I mean, having them contact me and want me to be in it was you know really an honor and he's such a great guy he doesn't sleep of course <laughs> no never this works all the time yep. but um nonetheless he's he's a sweetheart and i can't wait for this book it's mm. gonna be great mm. both books either both yeah. Yeah. yeah 
Yeah, this is a big part of the of Beatles history that we've, I mean, we obviously know about Mal in terms of, you know, what we've read and, and other, what other people have said, but mm. now we get to hear, uh, you know, in his own words through the, mm. the diaries, I mean, and, and manuscripts that weren't published. I mean, this is, this is big. I yeah. mean, this is, a, this is going that to we'll find out possibly what Be Beatles songs he wrote. <laughs> yeah that's right who knows if who he knows? did if he did maybe it was a line or two you don't know yeah we'll that's find right. out for sure i mean yep. he was a part of everything from the very beginning yeah right. once uh you know once it's all started at the cavern anyway uh paul mccartney is being nominated for two grammy awards for the upcoming ceremonies taking place at the crypto.com arena in los angeles january 31st Paul is being nominated for Best Rock Song with Find My Way, hmm. which ironically, you know about this? <laughs> yeah. It's competing with the song, All My Favorite Songs by Weezer, hmm. which is partly written by Ilze Juber, hmm. huh. the daughter of Lawrence and Hope Juber. <laughs> so Paul is competing with the offspring of a yes. member of Wings. <laughs> <laughs> I do believe also, the um, the the uh, the George Harrison crate has been nominated as well. Yes, oh, I didn't really. know that. Yeah, yes. historical yes, that packages. Yeah, yeah, like that. yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, most expensive. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I say it, it should win. <laughs> yeah, they all yeah. should win that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, think it's I wasn't aware of that. Mm. Archival yeah. album okay. packaging, yep. I think, is what it is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Very wow. nice. Yeah. Okay. Also, Paul is nominated for Best Rock Album from the right. 3. All right. And in the composing arranging category, a new orchestral arrangement of Eleanor Rigby by Cody Fry is nominated for Best Arrangement, Instruments, and Vocals. That's an Arrangers Award. Hmm. Okay. So all that to look forward to at the Grammys. So Paul wins something. Yeah. And, he's 118. Yeah. yeah. I think he's 118, so he's doing pretty good. <laughs> well, he needs more <laughs> uh, Rolling Stone is reporting that The Edge and producer Bob Ezrin have assembled a massive guitar collection from the likes of Paul McCartney, Rush, Radiohead Bruce Springsteen, Ron Wood Joe Walsh and others to benefit Music Rising, a charity they started in 2005 to aid musicians that were devastated by Hurricane Katrina. And Paul is donating his Yamaha BB-1200 electric bass guitar that he played in concert during Wings tours of the late 70s. It's called Guitar Icons, a musical instrument auction to benefit Music Rising. And it's called, oh, and it's, uh, it will take place, sorry, on December the 11th at Von Easton Galleries in Los Angeles. But bids will be accepted through the internet. Just a few more news items here. Uh, Mike McCartney will have another new book coming out called Early Liverpool Photographic Prints. And that's due out in January. And on November 26th, we lost one of the true giants of songwriters in lyricist and composer Stephen Sondheim, who died at the age of 91. And Sondheim gave us many great musicals such as West Side Story, Company, Sweeney Todd, Follies, and many others. Paul McCartney once revealed that the Beatles song, There is a Place, was inspired by the song Somewhere, or what some people refer to as There's a Place for Us from West Side Story. 
Paul had some very kind words to say on his Twitter account on Sondheim. He said, very sad to hear the passing of the great Stephen Sondheim. I was fortunate to meet him and chat about songwriting. He was a witty, intelligent man. Send in the Clowns is one of my favorite songs. So well crafted and beautiful with it. We have lost a great talent, but his music will live long and prosper. <laughs> Goodbye, Stephen. We love you, Paul. Very nice. Very nice. And finally, even though it's back on November 24th, we wish a very happy 80th birthday hmm. to Pete Best, hmm. okay, who made it to the big 8-0. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Nice. So that's all the news. I think that's plenty. All right. Yeah, that's good. That's <laughs> yeah. a good amount. Yeah. Thanks very much. <laughs> Thank you, Ken. Well, so as we said earlier, we're going to be devoting this show to George Harrison, uh, the legacy of George and remembering him because it was 20 years ago that he passed from cancer to be exact November the 29th of 2001. So um, I, I thought I, I would just start if anybody wanted to share uh, if their memories of maybe when they heard the news of, um, of the George had passed. For, for me, people ask me all the time, you know, on my channel, you know, what, what did you think when George passed? For me, you know, it's strange because, you know, whereas somebody like John Lennon, when the tragedy that happened to John, that was a, a shocker. I'll never forget. But with George, I kind of knew it was uh, coming. You know, I knew that he wasn't well for a long time. We all knew. And I kind of uh, was just waiting to hear the unfortunate news. You know, I knew it was only a matter of time. And because of that, for some reason, I don't have a, a moment where I remember hearing it. You know, I, 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 I do remember, I remember being very impressed by Paul McCartney giving a nice lengthy report to, uh, you know, some news people who stopped him and he was willing to get out of his uh, Jeep or van or when he was driving and, and talking about George at length and calling him his, his little brother and stuff like that. And I thought that was touching. That I remember very clearly. But I thought mm. I would just go around. Uh, and, and, well, anybody just wants to chime in uh, if you have any thoughts or memories of that, that, that day. Well, I know that I, I heard the news during the overnight, uh, my wife and I were staying at a hotel in Massachusetts. And of course, we all knew that George was ill. But I always remember George saying shortly before he died, don't worry, I'm not going to die on you folks just yet. Mm. And I always looked at George as being completely honest. So I thought it probably wasn't going to happen for a while. But still thinking that the moment might be near. You know, my wife and I would very often have the TV on during the overnight anyway. And we woke up in the middle of the night to find out the news and we just held each other and mm. took the news really badly, even though, you know, we knew it was coming. But, um, mm. you know, it's it's hard to put into words, even though it's it's a tragedy, no matter what. Still so young. He was only 58 when he died and such a big part of all of us, you know the music, all of his memories, you know, it, it was a horrible thing to, to deal with between that and losing John mm. and, um, you know, and Linda not too long before that too. So, right. Right. yeah, so that's, that's my memory of it. 
Yeah. And, um, you know, even though we knew it, it was coming, it doesn't make it any less sad either. Oh, you no, know, right. It was still right. very in impactful uh, for me because just, uh, you know, a year or two earlier, I was, you know, my uncle and I, we were doing our, you know, what if the Beatles never broke up CDs where we were just, you know, cramming all those, you know, songs onto like a 70, 71 and all that stuff. So I was having a really great time discovering, you know, a lot of the music that I hadn't listened to yet. So, you know, all of that was still fresh in my mind and just, you know, being, um, you know, very sad when, when when we heard the news and then having to go to work you know and that wasn't uh that wasn't that fun because it was just it was just hard to concentrate um that day just wanting to you know be at home and and listen to listen to his music um so so yeah i mean it, that was a tough day for sure yeah i remember i was i was uh, driving to, to class uh, I was working on my doctorate at the time at uh, Northern Illinois University, and I was I was driving, and and uh, the, the news came over the radio, and I I wasn't I mean I, I wasn't shocked because you know as we've all been saying we kind of knew this was coming. I mean, you know, we, I, you know, and I remember Beatle fan was reporting on some of this stuff too. We'd heard, you know, he had been going for um, experimental treatments in Switzerland. We'd heard mm -hmm. that, um, you know, that Paul and Ringo had been paying him visits and you just knew, you know, this didn't sound good. And so it, it didn't come as a complete shock to me. Um, and, uh, but of course, incredibly sad. And I even remember by the time I got to class by a number of my classmates knew what a big fan I was, and they were right. actually asking me if I was okay, right. you know, which was very <laughs> sweet, very sweet. Right. And I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, because I, I, you know, had expected it. And I don't think it really hit me fully until a year later, uh, you uh, know, when the concert for George yeah, happened right. and yeah. that's, that's when it really hit me. You know, I don't know why it took that long uh, to process, uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it was it was just, you know, I mean, I accepted it. You know, it wasn't like, as you said, Joe, when when John died, uh, I mean, I was too young when, when that happened to, yeah. to really experience it. But it wasn't a shock, but no, it, it, it still was incredibly it was coming. Sad. But it yeah, was incredibly, you know, sad. losing anyone, uh, especially uh, that young, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And his music meant so much. The, yeah. yeah. Sorry. The moment. Exactly. Yeah. Steve, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, it's it's the same sort of thing that, you know, we knew it was coming, you know, and I mean, it doesn't make it any less, you know, devastating because he was so young. But, um, you know, I, I remember one of the things that really I don't know why this really stuck out is you you heard these stories about you know George just wanted to kind of be left alone in peace hmm. like you know you know when the Beatles were touring in 65 <laughs> I mean this oh. is how he was you know and apparently one of the doctors that was attending to him hmm. was like even when he was really sick at the end was like making him sign guitars and things. Yes. Oh, right. I heard about I heard that. that Staten story. Island. Yeah. And I just thought, you know, like here's a guy who, you know, he's literally on his deathbed and he's still being hounded. You know, still people just will not leave him alone and give him peace, you know. And, you know, it, it's a shame because, you know, John and George were so much about, you know, spirituality and peace. And, and they both, you know, 
you know, obviously with John died violently and with George, I mean, the situations with him where they were attacked in their own home. Yeah. 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 George, George could have died violently as well. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. yeah. So it was so like, you know, and then to hear the, the sort of, I, I guess the brainwashed album was released posthumously. Right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. to hear it, you know, he was still, you know, making his points, you know, that yeah. album is as far as the sort of, this kind of central theme of it you know the brainwashed or you know whatever that is you can interpret it many ways i mean it couldn't be more relevant than it is today you know so it's like he he's still with us and and the other i think you mentioned about the the concert for george you know i was working on the let it be book i think at that time and yeah i was interviewing some of the people i interviewed had said that they were there they were at the concert and telling me you know, you can't believe what this felt like, you know, the feeling of it, you know. And then, of course, when I finally did get a chance to see it, mm. you know, it is just it's an extraordinary evening of music. Absolutely. That, where you've got the, all of these people together, you know, in one night. And, um, you know, it's just it's great to listen to it. I have it on, you know, Blu-ray, DVD, vinyl, CD. I mean, it's just <laughs> it's, it's just it's one of the most incredible concerts. That picture oh, is great. And I love the liner notes because the, the writer who did most of the liner notes is one of my favorite writers is Paul Theroux. And oh, I yes. Never, I never knew that, that he had such a relationship with George. You know, apparently he had a, a really deep friendship with George and that's why he was chosen. I mean, also obviously chosen because he's an extraordinary writer. He's an American, but he's mostly lived in England and mm. he writes nonfiction and fiction, which is, you know, not a thing American writers do. It is more of sort of a British thing. He, he's just an extraordinary writer. So that whole package yes. to me is, is amazing. And, you know, I think, you know, we still miss, we still miss him just like we miss John. I mean, it's so many years later, oh, but no. it's, you know, uh, but if it is presence is still there, I think he, he, he still felt, you know, but, you know, aside from everything you just said, which is beautiful, Steve, for Thank me, you. the concert for George apart from all the great music, is an even more special concert. Every tribute concert is special, but this was even more special to me because everybody on that stage was someone who was close to George and meant something to George and every spectrum. I mean, you got Monty Python there (laughs) and you've got uh, Ravi Shankar with Anushka Shankar and you've got some traveling Wilburys in there, you know? I'm surprised Dylan wasn't there. I've always wondered. Was he, he on was tour? tour? I think he was, was touring. I think, I think he was on tour. He had, he had something. Yeah. To, 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 but yeah. he's always on tour. I mean, <laughs> you know, that's I mean, the George went to tour. his. That's what right. Dylan does. I, I was kind of like, in a way, hoping that he would just like do a performance, you know, tape it and then send it. Yeah. You know, yeah. And do a tribute that way. Yeah. And the, but, but to not to have him on there was, was kind definitely, weird. it yeah. was weird uh, in mm. a way. But, but to Ken's point, I mean, everybody on that stage wanted to be there. Because mm. they loved him, yeah. you know, and there was like they and they weren't there for notoriety or or for a big payday. They were there to celebrate the life of their friend. Yeah. And it captured yeah. every kind of well, maybe except the, the you know, motocross stuff. But other than that, uh, I mean, all the different aspects of his life, right. I mean, the different sides of his personality, you know, the humorous right. side, the, the spiritual side, the right. obviously mm. rock and roll side that, you know, I mean, I just thought that w- that was brilliant. And then, you know, as I said, really fully processed 
what happened, you know, at the end when they had Joe Brown come out and do, I'll see you in my oh, dreams. God. And then the, oh. the ukulele, now, another part of his personality. But yeah, when that happened, that was it. I mean, I, I was gone. I was it was gone. Such, such a touch issue time. Sir. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad that you brought it up, Steve. I mean, I was, I, something I had here I wanted to talk about. Um, I'm glad you brought it up now. Um, I remember when I first heard of it, I was working with it with a guy who, who knew I liked Beatles stuff. And he said, did you see Concert for George? And I said, oh, I, no. I said, I don't think I'm going to bother. Because I was thinking it was going to be something like some of the John tributes where you had, I, I always joke around and say, Kevin Spacey singing mind games or something like that. Yeah. And he said, no, trust me, this is special. This is really good. And, he, and this guy's not a big raging fanatic of the Beatles or anything. I said, you know, I'm going to try it. And oh my God, did I love that thing? I watched that at least twice a year, every year. Um, it, it, besides being just great performances and great songs and music in general, it's the vibe, it's the feeling, it's George's mm -hmm. presence, spirit, it's everything. And it's just, it's a, a, what, a year later to the day yeah. that he mm -hmm. passed. It, it's just one of those moments where lightning's captured in a bottle everybody is doing so well with their performances and everybody's wow. as we said a friend um had some kind of relationship to george it oh it's one of the one of the greatest shows that i've ever seen i mean uh, yeah. uh by any of anybody you know absolutely um, and so. also to have danny harrison there oh yeah yeah who looks like you know yes. at the time a very yeah. young Spooky. george harrison uh, you yeah. know, it's like, you know, his, his spirit lives on through Danny, yeah. who is yeah. his yeah. own person, too. But he's he's more than proud of his heritage, yeah. Yeah. as yeah. you can tell yeah. from how he's conducted himself in his career. Yeah. He's got so, his own cool band. Yeah. Um, I love that. Ba I mean, he's got the solo stuff, yeah. but the band, I mean, and, and, you know, it's three very distinct personalities there, too. You know, I mean, and Donnie holds his own with two people that. I've definitely been around much longer than him making records and touring and songwriting. So, you know, mm. good stuff. Definitely. Well, okay. You know, um, as we, as we all have, we've been watching the Peter Jackson get back three parts. I'm sure all of us have seen you, it. I don't know. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> it's, this, it's this little docu documentary. It'll, it'll only take you like a lunchtime to watch it. <laughs> don't, don't, it's not very... It'll expensive. last the lunchtime. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I thought of, right, Reynolds? <laughs> so, but that's on our minds now. So I thought, you know, maybe I'll start asking questions about that kind of era, the get back slash let it be era. And also tying in to your book, Steve, you know, um, the, the Beatles Let It Be from the 33 and a third series. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about the book, you know, <laughs> what you did with the book, why you, why you, there's kids holding it up, what uh, inspired you to write it, uh, what, how you approached it and everything. And then we'll get into some questions about George during that period. Sure. Like how we felt that he was yeah. at that point. Well, I'll just kind of give you the just a quick sort of synopsis is I approached the editor of the series because I had heard about it and I thought, you know, what a great idea at the time. There really was nothing like it, you know, and there was only a handful of the books out and the editor, he actually wanted, he said, sure, we'd love to have you do a book. And would you like to do Bob Dylan? You know, and I said, well, you know, I just wrote a book on Bob Dylan. I'd, 
I really would rather do something else. You know, I've kind of dillined out <laughs> at that point. You know, I, I mean, it was a biography. So I covered, you know, I covered his whole career up until that point. And so he, he said, well, you know, what are you thinking about? I said, well, what about the Beatles? He said, yeah, he goes, that would, that would also be great because we don't have Dylan and we don't have the Beatles. And when he asked me, well, what album? He, I think he was a little shocked when mm. I said, let it be. And I said, you know, I said, I know it's not their best album. I said, but it's a great story. And I said, it's very relevant, you know, because in the news at the time, they had just recovered some of the tapes yeah. and the Phil Spector trial was going on. And I think this was before Let It Be Naked was announced, I believe. So I just knew, you know, through the years with all these bootlegs, it was a film, you know, you know, everything that was going on with Apple, it was the end of the Beatles, the end of the 60s, you know, it was more the journalist in me than the music fan sort of, you know, made that decision. And, um, you know, at the time, and up until just prior to Thanksgiving weekend, you couldn't see any of this material, unless you had a VHS and a VHS player. Because as you all know, it's never been out on DVD, Blu-ray, or streaming. You never see it playing in any movie theaters. So, I, you know, it was a great sort of, you know, archaeological dig in some ways to go back. And then as I was interviewing people, as I was doing it, I was hearing that people were getting interviewed, that they were going to be putting it out on DVD at some point. You know, and obviously that, you know, it never, it never did happen. And I mean, to answer your question about approach, you know, obviously, let it be as a documentary movie. So I sort of approached writing the book as if I was making a documentary, where I really was, you know, just being a journalist, I, I really, I'm not the kind of journalist who likes to put a lot of my own sort of opinions in, in it. I don't, I don't, I'm not into that kind of thing. I'm not a rock critic, whatever that even is. You know? <laughs> so I always prefer to be more of the historian or, you know, do my research and make observations and you know, let people make their own, you know, sort of decisions. And this book was different because the Dylan book, I really didn't do much in the way of interviews, but with this book I did. And so I interviewed Michael Lindsay Hogg and I interviewed Alan Parsons and I interviewed Peter Asher and Klaus Vorman and Peter Brown and Dennis O'Dell. And, you know, I interviewed, I interviewed a lot of people because I really wanted to talk to the people who were there or who were sort of around, even if they weren't involved specifically with the Let It Be album or film. But, um, you know, I really wanted to let them sort of tell the story, you know, because, you know, they were, they were there. And it was great because I talked to a lot of people who were at Apple and people who were at, you know, uh, at Abbey Road Studios, still called EMI at the time, obviously. You know, one of the people I talked to said that they were there the day the Beatles showed up to audition for George mm. Martin, which is, you know, I mean, that's just mind blowing. And, and he had said that, you know, literally their, their equipment was like held together with string, you know? <laughs> and you know, what's interesting too, is all of this, this idea about the Peter Jackson film about how everything that was going on during that period, it wasn't all gloom and doom that I did discover that when I did my research, that that was part of what I was hearing from certain people. And, you know, I don't remember, you know, who exactly it was, but they had said that, you know, literally John would walk in a room and people would just fall on the floor laughing because he was such a cut up because he was always just joking around. Now, we know that at different points during the making of Let It Be, he was, 
not necessarily all with us, let's put it that way. <laughs> but, um, you know, I just, I love talking to the people who were there, you know, these people who worked with the Beatles, people who were with them on a day-to-day -day basis, people who knew them for years. I mean, you know, I mean, obviously Peter Asher knew, knew Paul the best and, and knew them all for years. I mean, Peter Brown, you know, as, as much as there are issues with The Love You Make, his book that he wrote with Stephen Gaines, I mean, he was there, you know, with Brian from early, from very much early on. Um, when I interviewed Peter, he, Peter Brown, I interviewed him at his apartment in Manhattan, and he explained to me that John and Yoko would come and visit him, and he said that they were looking for a place in Manhattan. This was before they were living there. And they wanted to live in his building because they really liked it. And he said, well, there's no vacancies here, but the building next door, the Dakota, there's, there are vacancies there, I believe. And so it was Peter Brown, you know, who kind of, you know, accidentally, so to speak, you know, tipped them off to go live in the Dakota. I mean, famous people have lived in the Dakota for years. It's, it's a place mm -hmm. that, you know, movie stars and people, famous, rich people have lived for years you know so it was it was really great it was great you know klaus vorman told me what it was like being in the studio when john was trying to cut instant karma and he was having a really rough time and george harrison said well you know uh, phil specter's in new york why don't you see if phil would come in and klaus said phil walked in and within 15 minutes he had the sound that we all know and love of, of instant karma and, you know, I'm a big Phil Spector fan of his music, maybe not of the person, but, you know, <laughs> certainly the wall of sound, you know, I mean, what, what, what Phil did for, for all things must pass, although people feel that, it, that the credit for the sound should be shared. I know there are some that don't like the heavy handedness of it necessarily, but then what Phil did with, with Imagine is very sort of different. It's very sparse. It's very much, you know, I think what John was, you know, was going for. So, you know, that's kind of what I've done, what I did with the book. It's still in print all these years later. It was published in 2004. Um, it's been translated into Japanese, into Italian. It's been anthologized. Um, you know, there's things, you know, of it now I realize maybe aren't completely accurate. N not that they're not factual, but they're, th there's more context to it. Or maybe there's mm. things I would have approached a different way. It was a long time ago. So... Mm. But um, people seem to like it. It is in print. It's a great series. Um, and well, um, that's that's what I was going to say. Thirty-three and a third. Uh, this is a terrific series. Uh, yeah, you know, it's that still take, around. It's still around, and yeah. and uh, you know that takes in-depth uh, looks and and really uh, analyzes how you know classic albums were made. And I think this is a really nice compliment. Uh, even that, you know, you said it was you know two thousand. 2004 but still i think this is a you know a great compliment to get back because you know it does well first of all you know like you said uh, a lot you know of it st you know, still squares with what get back talks about that it wasn't all gloom and doom and, and so forth but it is i i think a very nice compliment to get back in the you know chronicling the sessions what happened you've got all the perspectives of, of people who are there many many of whom appear in the documentary yes. so um so i mean definitely um you know i i think this is a great addition to any any fan's library and and uh you know Definitely recommend you check it out.
Thank you. I think in some ways it's like almost like an introduction more because it is a short book. That's Mm -hmm. the whole idea of the series is not to write these comprehensive compendiums. You know, it really was more of, you know, I think it's a good compliment, like particularly with what Doug Sulpey has given. I mean, he's provided Mm -hmm. a lot of the raw sort of, you know, raw material. And now, you know, obviously with the 50th anniversary, there's been some books that have, you know, gone into this territory, adding to it, you know, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the more, the merrier, you you know, Mm -hmm. the more, the more you can get on a particular period or, or an artist or whatever the case may be, you know, I just think this is hopefully a a valuable part of the canon. It's certainly not definitive by any stretch of the imagination. Hmm. Okay. Well, I think Peter Jackson agrees with you. The more the merrier when it comes to uh, how much you could you could delve into something. Um, so uh, let's talk about George during that period, because I've always felt that I think most people would agree that George, to me, that was a peak of sorts for him that time, 68, 69, 70. And he's kind of still trapped in with the Lennon and McCartney mystique. He's still kind of being... Uh, I don't know, uh, squeezed in a way that he can't really do what he what he what he'd like to do. And then he ha- there's, of course, that moment in the get back footage where we see that he says he has enough for like the next 10 albums, enough <laughs> material, and he might want to do his own solo album and everything. And it must be that an insurmountable thing to have to deal with, with, you know, how, how great as Lennon and McCartney were, you know, and you're you're in there. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit. Uh uh, Kit, what do you think? Uh, let's talk about your feelings on George at that point. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, watching Get Back, that George's sort of, I don't know, uh, development during this this period, you know, watching and watching it during Get Back, that was one of the most fascinating aspects of the documentary. And there were many fascinating aspects of this documentary mm-hmm. but but that was one of them that that you really saw him i mean obviously in that first episode you know you saw his frustration um you know that he had great i mean he was coming up with these songs feel any you know now i think he also had personal stuff going on you know outside the yeah. Beatles we've talked about that um but he was feeling I think you know that his material was being overlooked uh he I think also felt you know Paul was taking over at times when and you know we could debate whether that was justified or not uh but he felt that way um and then of course the whole thing with Michael Lindsay Hogg you know, kept saying, you know, so are we going to do this concert in Libya or what? You know, I guess saying that and George saying, I don't want to do this concert. And, you know, and he felt like he wasn't being listened to. And, you know, you could just see the the, the pot gradually coming to a boil. I mean, you know, I mean, it's, it, you just saw it coming. Um, and, you know, but then to see when he, you know, eventually came back after negotiating and everything, you know, I, I think you could really see this um you know confidence starting to come out and you know you could really see him enjoying um recording old brown shoe i mean you know to see him really getting into that having a great time and then that conversation that you just mentioned joe with with john and yoko um i mean i i practically was cheering 
his yeah. screen when he was yeah. saying he had all this stuff and he said you know i thought about paraphrasing here you know i thought about giving this away to other artists but i decided i need to do something for me right you know yeah. and i just thought <laughs> right on i mean it was you know you just <laughs> and of course you knew that was going to be all things was fast um and so i i just think he you know this was a time of um you know a real crossroads for him i mean he was working you know with other artists he was you know and i think he you know maybe he was still a bit nervous of leaving the beatles cocoon in a way uh but on the other hand i think he was starting to say hey i'm writing stuff that's as good as lennon mccartney and it's time for me to get out there and, hmm. and do my own you know start my own career and um so it was fascinating to see that and, and you know develop in the course of the film and I do, I do think it was, for me, it was getting as good as Lyndon McCartney. Absolutely. You know, because a lot of people say, oh, well, it's never quite uh, up to that, up to that. In fact, George Martin said something to the effect of, right, uh, John and Paul, like, I mean, songwriters. Yeah. And George mm -hmm. is his own kind of thing. But I mean, with songs like, While My Guitar Gently Weeps and, you know, and something and all things must pass and what everything he was he was working on at that time here comes the sun here mm -hmm. comes the sun yeah uh which is pretty darn good you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah just ask anybody now it's right it's right. the most uh, streamed beatles song here exactly. comes the sun mm -hmm. so that's become the biggest. yeah there's an interview clip an audio clip that i have of george barton saying the first time when george really wrote something that knocked me out was here comes the sun i mean that's the first time, <laughs> you know, it just goes to show it wasn't you, don't bother me, <laughs> but you know, something uh, within you without you is a song that I bring up every now and then on this show as, as one that I now look upon as being such an absolute masterpiece. It was way over my head when it first came out. I was a little kid, even in my adulthood, I couldn't understand what this song was all about. But when you think about all the work that was put into that, mm. not only from George Harrison as a song and all the, the Eastern philosophy and the beautiful words and lyrics, but George Martin did a ton of work on Within You Without You in, in adding the Western and Eastern instruments. How did he even know, you know how to score <laughs> Eastern instruments? Somehow he knew that too. But while he's doing this, George Martin, He's not recognizing the brilliance of Within You Without You. Mm, I mean, yeah. we could talk all you want about While My Guitar Gently Weeps, which is no doubt about it, one of their, their greatest songs. But even, you know, before that, you've got Taxman and If yes. I Needed Someone and a lot of great stuff coming yeah. out of George. But considering all the work that George Martin poured into Within You Without You, you'd think he'd recognize, you know, what an amazing song that was at the mm. time but even george martin admitted later on that you know he wasn't very fair to george mm. yeah. um yeah and it's very apparent yeah i think a lot of i mean a lot of it is they're, they're, i mean they just look down on him it seems like most of the time especially during that that month um you know partly at, at twickenham and then at uh at, at their um at their studio um but it is, you know, we, we talked to Chris Thomas, who who saw the frustration, right, when we talked to him at, you know, in 2018. Yeah. I think, Ken, you had Patty on, didn't you, um, on things we yeah. said today? And, then, you know, she had talked about, you know, the frustration that, that George was having a little bit on that uh, on that episode as, as well. 
but but I also feel from seeing the get back that you can tell that he was frustrated himself about certain things. And, you know, we saw him talk about it, you know, not being to being able to improvise like a near Clapton right. would 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 have been able to be or would have able to, to do. And and so therefore, maybe that process of get back of where we're going to write 14 songs and record them and then perform them live on the spot. Maybe that wasn't the right process for him. And maybe that had something to do with with him leaving, uh, you know, maybe, but also like Kit, Kit said, maybe, you know, home stuff. And then maybe him seeing John and, and Paul, you know, doing their face to face, you know, um, a mm. bit and, and, and how and how well they were um um working together at that point in time and i just hear you know you just see george just strumming something he's not really you know getting in there or contributing yeah. because maybe he feels like he can't um but it is amazing though that out of that then you probably get arguably the two best songs on abbey road in in, in something and 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 here comes the sun and then also during that month of january he's you know he's got almost half of 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 um all things must pass um started you know he leaves he leaves the band and, and starts working on wawa you know it's just you know all of this creativity that he's that he's that he's creating um while all this frustration is, is building up and i'm glad he didn't because he was giving songs away you know i think joe cocker got something first as well right um you know but he didn't uh, release it till after the Beatles version came right out. and then billy preston got uh, my sweet lord first and and mm-hmm. i think there was one other one all things must pass i think it was you know so but i'm glad that he he you know went for it he took the, his material seriously to where you know he was you know had enough confidence to do that so well because i mean it's arguably the greatest solo record <laughs> there is yeah. you know so it, it's very interesting to see george throughout that whole that whole um eight hour documentary you know but um it's fascinating really is you know it's something that should, could be examined for years really yes you know, to, to study George Harrison in 69 and 1970 yeah. is beyond fascinating. Yeah. And it's a very complicated time frame. And you mentioned the word crossroads, which is perfect kit for this time, because not only did he feel this frustration and only getting a couple of songs per Beatle album, but at the same time, I don't think he really wanted the Beatles to break up. Mm. And even after John made the announcement that he wanted a divorce, and Paul issued the statement that went with the first McCartney album. George was still talking to the press about there being an, possibly another right. album, right. you know. Yeah. And when you think about the fact that George was more vested in Apple than anybody, any of the Beatles, he did more work producing nope. other artists, playing for them. Yeah. He was responsible for bringing Jackie Lomax to the label, for helping Billy Preston get a, a record contract, yep. the Radha Krishna Temple, Doris Troy, all these artists. He's also doing that thinking that, well, probably the Beatles are going to continue anyway. And one thing that Peter Jackson said in other interviews, though not in ours, on things we said today, is that um, apparently George said to John, and Paul wasn't there when he said this, what, how would you feel about my making a solo album and we still go back to doing, you know, Beatles right. at yeah, the same time? Yeah, you mentioned that in the documentary, and, yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, John seemed to be okay with that. Yeah. yeah. And when, when Peter talked to Paul, lately, Peter to Paul, um, <laughs> Paul said he didn't know that, but he would have been in favor of that. Mm. So, 
Yeah. I don't think George is necessarily thinking I want the Beatles to break up. I think right. he still wanted them to continue. He could do solo music. He could help out Apple artists. You know, the mere fact that he was so giving of his time for, uh, for other mm. artists meant that he was all for Apple, which was the Beatles' own company and project to begin with. So I think he really wanted the Beatles to continue. But at some point, when nothing's happening with the group, he has to start recording all things with his past. Yeah. And then he really enjoyed that whole process. Mm. That's an interesting take, Ken. I never really, I never really looked at it that way. And it really is fascinating and it makes sense. And it made me think too that, you know, he was involved with soundtrack music at that point too, because they did the Raga soundtrack. That was an Apple uh -huh. project, you know, right, right. and they did, they ended up being involved with that movie. So, um, yeah, that's that's a there you go. And, and Wonderwall, Wonder right? I mean, always right. He, on it. He, he had he had <laughs> been the, the the film and the soundtrack thing, you know. You know the thing I was thinking about. I think when Kit was talking, it, another thing is, you know, John and Paul, even though they were not writing together like they used to, they still kind of had each other to bounce off of. Where George didn't have that natural person to bounce off with. I mean, I think in some respects there was a little reaching out you know, with Ringo in that respect, in the Peter Jackson documentary, you see Ringo's just starting to come up with, I think it's Octopus's Garden. Yeah. Yep. And, and George is kind of encouraging him and he's there with him and, you know, you know what, George, what George would do with it don't come easy, you know? So I guess George did the demo, I believe, for it don't come easy, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Well, he because he there is a the, demo, the guide vocal, yeah, the guide with, vocal. George mm -hmm. doing it, yeah. yeah, which I've heard, There's, yeah. And is that available? I've always wondered is is that other than bootlegs? Is that it's on? I, I, it's not, no, yeah, it's not, not available a, anywhere. Not a, legitimately. Not I'm surprised because you do hear it often, you know, uh, in in different places. But um, you know, it, I, I mean, I, I just I should probably just say this: all things must pass for me. The album is my favorite album of all time by mm. anyone period wow. Wow. and i know people when i say that are often a little shocked because they know i'm a big beatles fan so they would think well wouldn't it be like you know sergeant pepper or abbey road or something or i'm also a big who fan so gee wouldn't it be like tommy or you know who's next or whatever or something but you know for me and it's something that it, it came to me through the years you know, that it became, this is, this is my favorite album. It may not be the best album anybody's ever made, but for me, in terms of lyrically what it's about, and then that sound of that record. And I know some people don't like the wall of sound or whatever it is. And, you know, I was speaking recently with, I'm sure you probably all know Jason Krupa, obviously. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah he's been on and, our show. Yeah. And he was saying that he felt that especially the orchestrations on all things must pass is really more George working with the person who was the orchestrator, not mm -hmm. Phil Spector, who was sort of dictating that sound. And when I interviewed Ken Scott for, for let it for my let it be book, he was sort of feeling, well, no, it, it wasn't Phil. It was really me and George who were coming up with the sound. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure it's really a, a sort of a composite of, of all of the people working together. But I think ultimately it is, it's George's album and he's saying what he wants, you know? And I think, I think Spectre, when he worked with the Beatles 
individually, I think he was, you know, sensitive to th them being the boss and calling the shots where it isn't, you know, I'm Phil Spector, I'm used to running the show sort of thing. I, I would, you know, I'd, I'd be interested to hear what any of you think about that, if, that, if, there's a, if that's accurate. Well, that's your feeling. I think you're right. I think you're right, especially because you mentioned like the huge difference in the production between All Things Must Pass and Imagine. Hmm. You know, I think whichever Beatle he worked with dictated what he wanted. And, and certainly Phil had some influence, but still there's a huge contrast in the production styles. We beat the good... Beatles with Phil. Yeah, that's a good point. And, uh, and if you read um, uh, Ken and, and Jason's book, and of course, we did a show on that. No. I, have yeah, it. I that, haven't read it yet. I'm looking forward to oh, it. Oh, you'll, you'll love it. You'll love yeah. it. And, and their book strongly supports what you just said, because uh, definitely um, George was, I mean, in, in some ways he was, you know, a little, you know, struggling with some uh, confidence, you know, issues throughout that. But he was, you know, he really knew what he wanted. And, uh, and there were times where he was very much uh, in charge and, and, uh, um, and Phil, I think, wasn't there. At yeah. So I think he, yeah. he was very much uh, dictating this is what he wanted in, in yeah. the orchestration and so forth. Yeah. It's interesting how that album, too, becomes part of this sort of whole bunch of other records including obviously Layla, Derek and the Dominoes, yeah. you know, Mad Dogs and Englishmen, you know, mm. Joe Cocker, you know, Leon Russell on, on these albums, you've got a lot of the same players, you mm -hmm. know, I mean, for the first time, the guys in Derek and the Dominoes are together on All Things Must Pass. And apparently the story goes that there was some extra studio time and Spectre did some recordings with Derek and the Dominoes that, you know, never were officially released until the recent um, reissues of All Things Must Pass. So you have this kind of whole scene going on. And really, George is really kind of in, he's really at the center of it in a lot of ways. You know, you've got the, the Delaney and Bonnie and Friends. Mm, sure. You know? mm -hmm. So you, if you take those albums and you look at the liner notes, you, you see a lot of the same players are on these records. You know, as they've done reissues too of like, Blind Faith and uh, Derek and the Dominoes and, uh, you know, these different groups, uh, Delaney and Bonnie, you see George turning up on some of these reissues where he played on some of the sessions, but he wasn't on the final albums. Hmm. So you've really got all of this, this sort of cross fertilization and it's, you know, it's kind of hands across the water, <laughs> you know, where you've got all these American players and you've got all these British players. I mean, Derek and the Dominoes is one Brit, you know, which is Eric Clapton and the other three are all, they're all Americans, you know? So it's really, it's, I love this stuff. It's a fascinating period. You know, it really is, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And I like Stevie has said, it's your favorite album of all. Right, all time, which made me think of someone else here that I'd like to kind of branch over to, and he's nodding already because I thought it'd be. I was going to ask about this type of thing, different albums we enjoy by George and yeah. Ken. Why don't you tell us about? The, I won't spoil it. I'll let you tell what you like, your favorite album, well, and so my forth. My favorite album of all time for many artists is "Living in the Material World." Okay, Great and I album. think the I love it. Yeah, the thing about George is, is that I think his music, especially the things he said and how deeply personal and spiritual it was, was 
if you're a younger person, you're not going to grasp it as much. I think with maturity, you grow to respect the music so much more. I think George's music sounds better with age hmm. because of so many yeah. of the things that he said huh. in his music. I'll drink to that. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, living in the material world has some of the same spiritual themes of all things must pass without the Phil Spector production, except for uh, Try Some, Buy Some. But, uh, you know, it's the, the, the songs on living in the material world and I always point out the light that has lighted the world, who can see it, be here now, which is like mm. a mantra, you know, a very slow mantra, so powerful with so few words. Those are amongst the most powerful songs I think he's ever written, you know, mm. and as someone who is a big lover of love songs and ballads, mm -hmm. I think of that as all as being, you know, possibly his greatest love song, mm -hmm. you know, on a par really with something. Only it's just not as well known. But uh, yeah, I, I love everything about living in the material world. I love most of George Harrison's solo music. I think it's as solid a catalog as you could get. You know, but um, that's definitely how I feel about living in the material world. But to anyone that points to all things must pass, yeah. You know, two albums of great material. <laughs> um, I agree with the only that thing part. Better too. than one great album. There's two great albums, really. Right. But it's more commercial, definitely, but still very powerful messages in those songs. Yeah. So I'm glad to hear you say that. Cool. Um, Tom, Tom, and Kit, do you have any feelings on you know other George albums? I mean, we or all you know all things must pass. Living in the material world, but I thought, you know, if you had anything else that maybe stands out for you. Well, uh, you know, Cloud Nine was like the first, you know, album that of George's that I was able to buy with my own money. So that was that's what was held a special place for me. And plus, you know, I was a big MTV junkie, too. And, you know, and there he is, you know, finally on uh, on MTV, um, you know, so I got to see him in a couple of videos, um, which was which was pretty cool. But the but the album of Cloud Cloud Nine is just so good. Um, and I think it would have been really good if it wasn't, you know, if Jeff, if someone else produced it as well. I think the songs were that strong. Um, Stand that on their own, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a little bit of Jeff Lynn influence there, but I, I think it would have been just as good without Jeff Lynn. But um, those songs, those songs are, are terrific. And, um, you know, but I always go back to All Things Must Pass as well. But um but the song, you know, I, I, I love Cloud Nine. It's great stuff just as well. And the Traveling Wilsbury stuff is as well. I mean, that was just a great period for me, you know, in my early, uh, you know, really getting into the, the so, you know, the solo stuff as well as the, as the Beatles. So that was a good time. That was a great period for George in general. I, think I just said oh, about yeah. how I felt yeah. 68 and 69, yeah. 70 yeah. around there. Seen them do uh, songs. Yeah. yeah, seen them do Beatles songs for, well, not seen, but listening to them do Beatles songs yeah. for that live in Japan as well. I mean, yeah. him going back and, and doing Beatles stuff was, was really cool. Absolutely. I would yeah. have never have thought he would have done piggies in country. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. cool. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, of course, all, all things must pass goes without mm. saying. And and Cloud Nine, yeah, definitely brings back. I, I still love that album when it brings back great memories of high school. Yeah. And, and yeah. yeah, I love it, love it too. Uh, but I'm I'm gonna give a shout out to uh, 33 and a third. Uh, yes. I love, yes. love, love, love that album. Um, you know, it just has some great uh uh, you know, even a little bit of soul there. Um, you know, woman, don't you cry for me with that 
great, great bass. Uh, mm. Of course, you got some humor with this song. Yeah. Uh, you know, just just great, uh, great stuff there. Uh, Pure Smokey. You know, love the tribute to Smokey Robinson, Cracker Box Palace. You got another, mm. you know, some great, uh, great humor there. And one of my favorite talking about ballads, as Ken was mentioning earlier, learning how to love you. Yes. I mean, oh, beautiful, beautiful. Another one of his songs that could be romantic or spiritual. Um, and his follow up, George Harrison. That's great, too. Was, yeah. um, you know, I kind was, of think of them as kind of bookends. In right. A way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because that's that's wonderful, too. I mean, you know, it, it has uh, blow away. I mean, come yeah. on. Uh, you know, love. I mean, side one is I mean, I think side one. I mean, but gosh, love comes to everyone. Not guilty. Here comes the moon, soft-hearted Hannah, blow away. Yeah. I mean, good stuff. You know, good stuff. You can't get much better than that. There's so yeah. many great love songs on that album. And that album is, yes. do, is is very popular these days, I'm finding. You know, it's one of those albums that's really getting appreciated. Yes. More than ever. And long overdue. Those yeah. those two, yeah. Those those yeah, I think those two are now getting more respect. I'm trying to remember like soft yeah. touch. Yeah, soft touch is beautiful. Beautiful, yeah, just some wonderful moments on on both those albums. Can you ever get two more beautiful love songs back to back than mm. "Dark Sweet Lady" and "Your Love Is Forever"? Yeah, oh, well, that's great too. They're yeah, both, they're great. both gorgeous songs. They really are, and yeah, sung well too. Yeah, oh, you know, I love his vocals on "Dark Sweet Lady." Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, yep. I, we mentioned brainwashed earlier. You know. I, I, I I still feel it's kind of an overlooked album somehow, yeah. um, you know, because uh, I'm whenever I'm listing my favorite albums, which I just did, all the ones we mentioned would be in my top, and then I go, oh, there's brainwashed as well that I that I like, you know, but I forget about it. I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's because it was a posthumous release uh, that came out later or when George wasn't here. Um, but let's talk about brainwashed a little bit. I think we did. Did we do a show on brainwashed? I think we, 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 we did. We did. Yes, we did. Yeah. And, you know, I think part of it was when it was initially released. I mean, and, and I didn't appreciate it for a long time because it was yeah. released not mm. that long after he passed. And, and so it did have this that for me it had that kind of hanging over it. So it had this kind right. of, you know, I, this, this sort of sadness uh, hanging over it. But over the years now, I mean, now that 20 years later, you know, as, as that has, you know, we've gotten more distance from that. It is, it's a good record. Mm. You know, it really is. And, and I think it's gotten better. Right. You know, with time, I mean, you know, that I think some of those like any road and stuck inside a cloud, I think those well, have become more beloved. Yeah, cuts. but yeah. but but stuck inside a cloud being the lead off single for that album, I don't think it necessarily helps everybody's mood either, because it's such yeah. a kind of like a little bit of a downer or somber, mm. you know, song. I yeah, think, you know, any, any road might have been the, no. the better. I love any road, any road. Love Wonderful. Song. I think that would have been the better opening single, you know, any road myself. But uh, but yeah, exactly, kid. I, I I felt the same way too. Um, I I acknowledge that it's a great record. However, you know, it's you know, it's just one of those things where you know you, you think about it, you know, and then you're kind of sad because you know he's not you know you know he's not with us anymore to to. To, you know to promote it or or just to you know hear him sing songs you know we did get to see him do any road right on the on the um was it the yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, but how many years how many years yeah how many years prior yeah 97 right. i think yeah. you're right yeah. Yeah. yeah it was really early 
That was a treat since yeah. that was a song none of us <laughs> right. ever heard before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so beautiful the way George starts to feel. I mean, he's nervous, I think, and not his, really his his show, right? Isn't it going to be Ravi that really they're really talking right. about? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then he starts getting comfortable. I'm a little more comfortable for George. Yeah, but then Craig's kind of like nagging him on. Hey, play a song, uh, George. Play a song. I love how he, how he knows yeah. how, how yeah. Hugo Sang knows the songs. Yeah. And right. even when he yep. starts doing a little bit of a traveling Wolverine song, Hugo oh, yeah. uh, yeah. Sang starts singing yeah. along with it. He knows what it yeah. is. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, think, you know, and stuff like that. Uh, any other thoughts? Brainwashed? Yeah, uh, I, I was interesting. What I was listening, what Tom was talking before, like, how cloud nine was sort of how he came in in some ways. And, you know, we really haven't talked about an album that really isn't a George solo album, but the concert for Bangladesh. Mm. And, and that album for me, it holds a special place because I was around an age. I hate to do this because then, you know, I'm just, you know, aging yourself. I'm going to be, you know, heading down to Miami soon, you know, um, you know, I, I was, when the album was just getting released, it was like the end of 71 into 72. And so at this time in New York, if you lived in New York, it was a great time for what used to be called progressive FM radio. And so I had just gotten my first like cool stereo for Christmas, you know, with the round speakers. I mean, it was kind of a funny little stereo, but it had the FM and the turntable. It had a tape recorder. So I'll never forget this WORFM, one of the progressive radio stations in New York at the time, had the album and they were just playing it. They were just like playing, like, you know, you don't, they don't do this anymore on FM radio, really. Mm. And so I'm recording this, you know, and I mean, I'm however old I was 12. Okay. I don't even know probably about the concert that it even happened. Okay. And I'm hearing, you know, I'm hearing George and Billy and Leon and Bob Dylan. And I'm just like, what is this? This is just, I'm like, you know, I'd, I had never been to a concert at that point. And, you know, I like to pretend I was cool back then. I'm still not cool. I'm still wondering when that's going to happen. But, um, you know, so I'm hearing this and it obviously it stayed with me. You know, it's like you just feel like, you know, you're just some 12 year old kid in the suburbs. But it's like I'm there. I'm at Madison Square Garden and I'm listening to this and and they're saying, you know, oh, Eric Clapton is there and Badfinger. And it's like, oh, my God, you've got this is not happening. You know, <laughs> so I've always loved I've had a soft spot for the concert for Bangladesh, mm. you know, and for a variety of reasons. Obviously, it was done for all the right reasons. Mm. But, you know, it just it reminds me of that, you know, that Christmas and that time. And, you know, it was a time of, you know, FM underground radio where, you know, you could be exposed to this sort of thing. I mean, now nobody even knows what that is or takes this stuff for granted because they have Spotify and, you know, whatever. I think, Ken, I think you probably have some sense of what I'm talking about. Yeah, although I was was more of an AM listener still at that point. But I certainly appreciate what, what, uh, you know, progressive rock was like in the very beginning and how it was much more free form no tight playlists, you know, and you can get away with playing so many different things and not just the singles go deep into albums. Right. And, yeah. um, you know, uh, 
radio has changed a lot since then. Yeah. yeah. One of the things yeah. I enjoyed was in the mid eighties and even a little bit into the early nineties, the classic rock station I would listen to, they would do this thing called the perfect, the perfect side um, yeah. where that they would yes. play one side of a whole album. And, th and that was great because not only did you yeah. get like a hit or two, you also got those great deep cuts as well. Mm -hmm. Gosh, Something like that though, that. It would only be like a weekend right. kind of special program. Yeah. It wouldn't yeah. be part of your normal program. <clears throat> no. In right. most cases. It was off time. So. So, yeah. Well, we had all these great stations. I mean, WNEW FM, WOR, yep. you know, PLJ before they were PLJ, they were WABC FM. Right. You know? And I mean, you know, it, the progressive FM radio didn't start in New York. It started in California and San Francisco with Tom mm -hmm. Donahue and, but it, when, when it did hit, finally hit New York, it was, you had all these stations and, you know, all these cool DJs and they'd play all this music and interview the artists and tell you all about the concerts. And you know, Dennis Elsis, who's on WFUV here in New York, uh, in the Bronx, right. and he was part of, he was part of WNEW FM in their heyday. Yeah, he did that great interview with John. Yeah, yeah one of the when most Walls famous interviews with John Lennon. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Very historic. I, I sometimes look at that as, you know, if if not the best, one of one of the best interviews yeah. ever. Yeah. With John. Some of John's best uh, hours there, two hours. Yeah. Whatever it is. Best, you know, I, I sometimes think, you know, when it comes to that interview and I've interviewed Dennis Elsus about it, it just seemed like everything fell into place in that interview because right around that time he could plug not only his own album, he could plug Goodnight Vienna. He could talk about George Harrison and Dark Horse. He could talk about George Martin producing America or, or the Mahavishnu Orchestra or something. It, oh, it's oh. like <laughs> all at the same time, yeah. you know? Yeah, uh, that is a great year, interview. What year was that? That was like 75, I think it was, okay. or 74. 74. Yeah, it's a great, I remember out. listening to yeah. it live and then later on. I know Dennis, he's a friend of mine, actually. And yeah, it is one of the best and it's used often you know, I think in the in one of the recent books in the box sets, I think they refer to that interview. I think in the, mm -hmm. either the Imagine or the Plastic Ono Band box set, I forget which one. And John couldn't have been funnier. Yeah, because you know, he was yeah. he was, yeah, was reading was weather. You know, you know, <laughs> right, reading commercials and goofing on T Rex on Mark Bolin and mm. saying you better buy his album because he's all fat <laughs> with worry. You know? yeah, <laughs> that yeah. wasn't T Rex. Who was that? Uh, Mark, no, I think was it was he, Mark Bolin. I think it was Mark. No, it Bolin. wasn't. It wasn't. No, it wasn't. I'll come up with it. Okay. It. All right. Correct. <laughs> Buzzy Linhart. Yeah. Was, was it Buzzy Linhart? It was Buzzy Linhart. Wait, wait. Was that no, it? not Buzz. He was no, mentioned. I, so. I know, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, Buzzy Linhart was mentioned. Hmm. I'll have to think of it. Okay. I always makes a couple it was of Mark Bowie Bowen. jokes. He makes a joke about Bowie yeah. being able to get into the ladies' night or something. Right. So quick-witted. Reading the commercial for the joint in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great. That's funny. Nothing too. like yeah. a joint in the woods. He yeah. says, yeah. losing his green card possibilities with one yeah. blow. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, uh, boy. And George had a pretty good sense of humor, too. <laughs> yes, he did. To that, right? You know? Nicely George, done, we sir. Did a, we did a show on that too, George. Yeah, yes, we sure did. did. Yeah, mm -hmm. see humor. And doesn't he say something even talking about Bangladesh, which struck me as a little humorous in retrospect, when they're talking about maybe 
doing some kind of charity for the Beatles or something. And George says, well, doesn't charity begin at home? Home, right. Yes, <laughs> yes that's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you know, so that, that, that was kind of interesting, given Bangladesh. Uh, but he was asked by a friend. Yes. You know, to, to do that. So um, how, about, how about we discuss a little bit of George's guitar playing and uh, maybe some favorite moments. Like I know for me, I love uh, Back Off Boogaloo. I love George's uh, work on that. Yeah, seems, seems to me like he was really great when he ha- when he um, had the time to really work it out. I think that's a, yeah. not maybe not arguably not too good on the fly, you know. Um, but he had to really have the time going back to to get back stuff. I don't know if he had the the time. They, had, they were really rushed to get those songs done. Hmm. Yeah. Anybody? Well, um, I mean, the, the slide ahead. guitar. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just going to say that. Okay. <laughs> just the, the slide guitar sound, uh, you know, became such a, a trademark uh, for him uh, and, uh, and just, uh, you know, really perfected it. Um, and uh, in fact, earlier uh, today, when Tom did a, a, you know, live chat to talk about tonight's show, we were talking about Cheer Down. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's great. Yeah. Great guitar mm. work on that. Uh, you know, one of my favorite George songs that I discovered later uh, you know, later after it was uh, released, and one of those, you know, why the heck wasn't this a bigger, a bigger mm. hit? Uh, but, uh, but yeah, just some incredible uh, guitar on on that one, um, and and I just love that that sound that that as I said, that sort of slide sound that that uh, became such a you know such a, a trademark of of his uh, later, of, of course, later solo work. Um, and, uh, you know, I, that, that just, you know, it's just, just so it's just the kind of so- sound that, you know, as soon as you hear it, yeah. like, that's George Harris. That's George. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, I love, uh, the song day after day is great, but then when you find out that that's, you know, George doing, you know, this, you know, the slide guitar or whatever on that song, I think. You know, that's I think is is an excellent effort from him. I love the guitar work on the uh, song Cloud Nine as well. Or oh, go ahead, Ken. Yes. My, my, no, no, Joey Molland has was that said Joey to Mo- me that no, no, Joey Molland said that that was Pete Ham and George. It was, okay, so it was both part. of them. Okay. So, All right. Yeah. But but great stuff nonetheless. Um, hmm. I, you Cloud know, I love nine, yes. yeah, I love Agreed. the guitar work on Cloud, the song Cloud Nine. I love how he sings about the guitar riff on this song, and then he goes into the <laughs> and then he goes into the solo. <laughs> you know, you know, I I I really uh, I really dig that. But but yeah, this is love. This yeah, is this is yes. love. Mm-hmm. But but we talked about this too before. I mean, I I really would have missed the fact that I wish he would have rocked out a little bit more in his solo career. Um, I think a lot, you know those rockers that we got from them in the, you know, during the Beatles, I, I, I think his solo career might've been lacking a little bit in, I wish there was like, I wish there was more devil radio um, style yeah, songs. What came to know? mind was devil yeah, radio. Yeah, good point. You know, whether or not he had someone else do a lead guitar, you know, like Clapton did a bunch of lead on, you know, on all things must pass. I mean, it doesn't matter. I just would have liked a little bit more up tempo songs from from George. Not that there wasn't a, a bunch because there is. I mean, you know, Faster is a good, you know, uh, up tempo yeah. song, you know. But um, but yeah, I, I, I think that um, I would have liked to see a little bit more. Hmm. 
I think what, one of the most important contributions that George made as far as his guitar playing is in the sort of mid 60s period when he's playing his Rickenbacker. And I mean, essentially launching the sound of Roger McGuinn and the birds. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, th th it's so significant to their evolution. And I mean, you know, they, of course, you know, people, you know, now there's so many people don't even know who the birds are, but at mm -hmm. the time they really, when they hit the scene, they were huge. And as far as America is concerned, you know, people were like, you know, kind of like, here's our Beatles, sort of. Hmm. You know, now David Crosby has always said, don't ever compare the birds <laughs> to the Beatles because we never were ever in their league. And I think that's hmm. David just being modest. It's true, but he's being modest. I think that, you know, look, it's obvious the birds took the beat and the jangle of the Beatles and the poetry of Dylan and put it together. And that sounds hmm. easy to do, but I mean, they did it. And the only other group to me that ever came close was Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. You know, I think REM, as far as the, the music, you know, Pete Buck's guitar, mm. there's a, there's a little bit of that, yeah. you know, I had interviewed REM and, and they, Pete said a little bit and Michael, Michael Stipe said, you know, no, I never, I didn't even know who the birds were when we formed. I don't necessarily <laughs> believe that, but, but what, what George did in terms of that sound and how it influenced the birds, you know, I'm a huge fan of the birds. I mean, they had great songs and those harmonies, you know, okay. they're just extraordinary harmonies, especially when Gene Clark was in the group, you know, early on. So, so that mid sixties, when George found the Rickenbacker, and that was actually John who kind of turned George onto it because I think it was Rickenbacker came to the Beatles with one of these prototype 12 strings and, and George was sick or something, I believe. And so John saw it and said, oh, George is gonna love this. Mm. And mm. I, I believe this is the story and said to him here, you, you should check this out. And I mean, I just love to hear, you know, that especially the help period, obviously with George, with the 12 string, with the Rickenbacker, that sound is just, you know, it just, I, I mean, it's just, I love it. I can, I can never get enough of it and I can never get enough of what the birds did with it. Mm. Nice. Um, I think uh, when it comes to guitar playing a couple of things with George, certainly during the Beatle years, he was so skillful at coming up with guitar solos that were short and memorable. I mean, all you got to do is like somebody, if someone says to me, don't bother me, I can hear the guitar solo, I can hum it. You know, uh, and that yeah. is in and of itself a talent. Um, there are certain guitar solos that he does that are very overlooked. I think his guitar playing for what he brought to Till There Was You was very unique for a pop band at the time. Um, I hate to admit this because there's some, some confusion uh, with Hey Bulldog. I do believe that's George on lead. I've heard some people say it might be John. But I love the, the lead guitar part in, in Hey Bulldog. It's very stinging. Um, right. And it's more than just the lead guitar part. He became a really great acoustic guitar player. I mean, um, Here Comes the Sun, his playing is just with such precision with all these different time signatures. And it's, just, right. it's so clean, the guitar sound, uh, what he brought to that. Um, and you can, you can talk a lot about his slide guitar work. 
because there is a sound that is distinctively George. And there are other guitar players who will play a slide guitar part and it'll sound like George, but you give the credit to George because it's really his sound. Mm. Um, you know, and for years I've, I've been bringing up Cheer Down on my show because not only is it great slide guitar work, he goes on for like two minutes of right. playing and he never yeah. plays for that long doing a solo. Uh, but there's all kinds of great slide guitar. I always think of The Lord Loves the One, mm. especially the way the song ends with a lot of slide guitar parts. Right. Really beautiful guitar playing there. Um, trading, the well, the lead guitar parts on um, That's What It Takes. I mm. love a lot. You know, mm. um, nice. but there's a sound that is distinctively George. Yep. And when you've got a style that's that's your own, you know, that makes you, you know, even more of an artist, you know, it, that stands out. And then, you know, you could say all four Beatles have their own individual styles, which is true. They were influenced by so many artists, but they developed their own styles. And, mm. you know, there's nobody that writes songs like George does and nobody played guitar like George does, especially mm. on slide. Here, here. I think uh, we got some comments. Uh, I noticed some, so I think it was Saul Perez said, uh, of course, pointing out that How Do You Sleep wouldn't have mm -hmm. been nearly as stinging oh, yeah. and biting without George's, right. you know, nasty mm -hmm. guitar on there. And that's true. That's a, that's a good one. And, and I love opening. her, of course, don't forget, and I love right. her. Touch. Mm -hmm. Paul even acknowledges that, right, these days. Right. The, opening, the opening lick of All My Love, uh, you know, it's beautiful. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. Now, Taxman isn't George playing, that's right? right? That's Paul right. doing the lead. Right. Yeah. Which is so strange, you know? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no. it's great. I mean, yeah, I, I love it, but it is, it is strange. You know, here's this song that, you know, one of George's best, most commercial rockers opening an album, which is, mm -hmm. you know, unprecedented for George. And it's not it's not him playing that, you know, that great lead. You know, it's mm. when you when you finally learn that, you know, it's like, what? <laughs> Surprising. <laughs> really? You're kidding. Yeah. OK. All right. That's cool. <laughs> it's a fun but, part to study with the Beatles who played what, because they yeah. often traded. Right. You know, their yeah. parts, yeah. their instrument, their instrumental yeah. parts. Yeah. Around. Paul did just, a lot of lead guitar work. So yeah. yeah, yeah. I was just thinking, you know, just reading, just you reading some of the comments and some of the guitar parts we've just talked about. You know, that's the thing. Uh, George was such a versatile guitarist too, and he just got more versatile as <laughs> as he developed. You know, in, in his skill. I mean, you know, he could play everything from, like you mentioned, uh, Ken. You mentioned something. I mean, you know, almost a, mm. I don't know, kind of a folky style. Um, you know, I was thinking like even. Uh, something like honey don't i mean that's like country you know he mm. could do that uh and of course yeah rockabilly exactly mm. he could do you know we've talked about his slide uh, slide work or he could do a nasty solo like how do you sleep you know mm. we just talked about that i mean he could really just do all different kinds of and his styles. acoustic his acoustic guitar playing was extraordinary as well i mean just, mm -hmm. i could listen to him play acoustic guitar all day as well exactly i mean he could yeah i mean his like a you know the the white album demos the uh the, uh, the easter uh, demos all things yeah. must pass easter, yeah. yeah the yeah. easter demos right saturday uh, night live with uh with george Paul oh, simon. Paul simon. Simon. Yeah. oh my yeah. gosh yeah. i mean that that was incredible so he just had a, a just a really impressive versatility uh, as a guitarist, and he just got better as he, as he got older. 
Mm -hmm. so George's slide. So this is something I don't think I really know is so who is his sort of influence? I mean, I think we know who some of the earlier influences are on his guitar playing. But as far as when that blues slide style that sort of comes later, like where does that come? Is, it, is there a specific influence or are there several guitar players? Or I mean, is it, does that come at all from Eric Clapton, from his friendship with Eric Clapton in any way? That part, but I don't where know. Where does it but start? I, so. That's a good <laughs> question. Yeah, I mean, start, it just, I, 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 I don't think... really remember. I can't really think off the top of my head, but yeah. I, it just occurs to me that I don't, because I love that too. When mm. you, and it doesn't, it doesn't have to be on a George Harrison song either for you to right. like it, you know, as, you, mm. as, as has been said here tonight, you know. But yeah, we don't know. We don't know this. OK, I, no, <laughs> can I, you make a guess. Can I we make a guess? I'm not totally positive, but I seem to recall Delaney Bramlett giving oh. himself credit when they were on tour, oh. teaching him the very beginnings of Sly. Mm. But then, oh. then George oh. developed his own style altogether. Okay. From yeah. That. All right. See, but and that that's makes really sense. interesting because because if you if you listen to Eric Clapton's first solo album, and obviously he did a lot of music, you know, before that. I mean, it took it took Eric Clapton a long time to get to make a solo album. He was in he mm -hmm. was in the Yardbirds. He was in the Blues Breakers. He was in Cream. I mean, he, he did many things before he ever made a solo album. And most people have said that that solo album is very influenced by by Delaney. That's where he basically got his his vocal style. And obviously he had sung songs prior to that yeah. but you know you know of course then he would develop more of his own style so that's really interesting to hear that that mm -hmm. that delaney had such an influence on on both eric and george that's that's interesting that's mm. actually discussed in in ken and jason's book okay I'm i just not remember that so okay. now i remember yeah just remember that that okay. uh, that yes they yeah uh, delaney and bonnie had a tremendous influence on on both clapton and George okay. so good stuff so that makes sense yeah and they did those big box set reissues that look like the cases that touring musicians have they have all the nights of the shows in London where Eric and George play with Delaney and Bonnie and it's some of it is amazing I mean yeah. you have to hear where they really kind of stretch I mean George tends to kind of hang back a little bit and even Clapton sort of kind of tends to to hang back. I mean, I think that as British musicians, they kind of look at the Americans, especially playing blues, as like, you know, well, they're the masters. You know, they're the originators. Mm -hmm. Right. They're the carpetbaggers, which is hysterical <laughs> to think about, you know. Yeah. But, I, but there is that great respect, you know, all joking right. aside. For sure. Know? So wouldn't um, the solo then and come together be kind of like the first time we hear like a, you know, a sly guitarist? I, I was wondering what be the first. That that's interesting to, to consider. I think that's yeah. slidey. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, know. it kind of is. Yeah, it's a little slidey. Slidey <laughs> to use a to use a <laughs> term. <laughs> Slide guitar ish. <laughs> nothing on the white album. There's really nothing on the white album that that where he plays that sort of thing or. I'm trying to think. I don't know. I'm trying to think of the whole white album in my head. Yeah, I know. Right. That's a lot of songs. White it's album. 22 yeah. songs. Yeah, <laughs> I don't recall. I mean, just off the top of my head, anything slidey. <laughs> okay. 
yeah off the top of my head well yeah. what's the lap what's the lap guitar to... that john uses for for you blue i mean is that that's a, a hawaiian a... lap steel lap guitar. steel okay yeah All that's right. what that's yeah. whole that's what he's doing he's kind of right. he's doing more of a sort of a, the, the kind of hawaiian slack key thing mm. almost as opposed and to John, a, John's pretty pretty yeah. proud of himself with that too. It's, yeah. great, it's great. It's really mm. great. You know, like, I mean, John is probably the least in the movie. I'm really know, at my peak now. <laughs> he's kind of the least accomplished, really, almost instrumentalist in the group, really. If you think about it, you know, mm. in some ways. And some people are hearing that and are throwing tomatoes at the screen right now. <laughs> but I mean, it wow. is it is true in a lot of ways that the other three are are more accomplished. As instrumentalists, certainly, you know. How did it come I, to be? I still don't think I know how John winds up doing the guitar solo and get back. Does anybody know how that came to? I do to not be? know. Uh, Steve, there's a comment uh, for you from uh, Mark Zetkov who says, uh, Steve, one of my all time favorite Clapton solos is on I Don't Want to Discuss It from the Delaney and Bonnie on tour with Eric Clapton album and the right. box set. Right. Excellent. You know, that's that that album. I mean, it stood as just a single album for years until a few years ago when they put this massive. I don't know how many CDs that box set is. It's a lot. It's at least four or five or more. And it's just the album that just it's just it's just so good. It just it's just blistering blues rock. I mean, Delaney and Bonnie and Friends are a band that, you know, most people don't even know or forgotten. They had sort of a hit with only you and you know and I know which I think yeah. Dave Mason actually wrote. And, you know, again, that period of like 70, 71, where you have all these different players and everybody's kind of playing together and everything. But yeah, that's, that's some good stuff. They had a hit record called Never Ending Song of Love. Okay. Okay. Remember that? I think that went top 20. Really? Okay. I, see, I yeah. don't remember that one. All right. That. Okay. Um, Steve, I wanted to touch on something that you made me think of. When you said that George doesn't really let himself go, kind of, you know, it's good to just like let yourself go once in a while, live <laughs> it up, you know. Uh, <laughs> that's funny too because I was yeah, I watching a, an interview with um, John Oates of of Hall and Oates fame, and mm. he was talking. I I did not know that those two were friends, and that was just a just a funny thing that I was just watching that interview and. and he would talk about how in 77, I think it was, that they were recording an album and um, George invited Hall Notes over to watch the Ruddles show. <laughs> and, uh, and while they were there, um, Hall Notes asked him, hey, why don't you come on and, and, and record on, on our upcoming album? And George was like, well, yeah. So he gets there and he goes, well, I just want to be part of the band. I just you know i'll just sit here strum the guitar i mean i don't want any of the focus on me and and you know and you hear that quite a bit too or you see that quite a bit with george as well i mean he doesn't want to take the focus away from from you know many people that he's working with a lot of times mm. and I, I just think that's quite a you know non-egoist egotistical thing about uh george that i love well, well one of the things you uh, were talking about sheer down before and there's footage of him doing it live in japan uh, in 1991, and as much as I love getting to see George doing it, it's, he still seems very like tight and careful mm, the way he's yeah. doing. Not, but I wanted to lead up to 
one of the best times I think George ever let himself go was the Carl Perkins and Friends. Uh, oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, man. When he was doing, like, everybody's trying to be my baby and stuff like that. Oh, that was such a great moment. He's having so much fun with his idol, Carl Perkins. And he's having, I don't think he wants that night to end, George, hmm. the way it's going. Big, big moment was uh, when they did Your True Love. Hmm. And they're sharing love. lead vocals with Carl Perkins, George Harrison, and Dave Edmonds. What a kick yeah. A version of that song. Yeah. <laughs> um, but one kick thing, because yeah. I wanted to say, because of what Tom brought up, if you want to know, there was one Hall and Oates album that George appeared on called Along right. the Red Ledge. That's, That's right. it right there. And yeah. George played like on 78, a song called The Last I think it was. Yeah. yeah. Right. The Last Time is a song right. that George is on. So if you want to go to YouTube and hear it, yep. you can actually tell George is on it, but he's not mixed hot enough, but you can tell it's George's guitar. I have that album on vinyl. Yeah. I remember when it came out and that George was on it. I don't know why, but yep. I still. <laughs> wow. All right. Yeah. I've got to go I've look this it. up. I've, yeah. I missed this. Okay. Yep. I've wow. played it on my radio show several times. So. Wow. I, I, I haven't heard this. My gosh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And I would have loved to have been on the fly, a fly on the wall, listening to George and uh, Hall Notes. Watching, yeah, the watching the rules and discussing it. I mean, <laughs> right. good God. Right. How cool would that be? <laughs> so uh, any other questions? Do we have any comments or anybody else? If anybody here has any George. Well, I, I mean, to bring up. Yeah, I would just like to say, I mean, not only is it the music that is, you know, really memorable, you know, obviously, I mean, but it, it's his the friendships that he that he's had over the years and the way they continue to talk about him um after all these years since he's been gone and just the love they express that they have for for george um is, is really amazing um when you go back and listen to a lot of these people talk and you know whether or not it's it's music related or racing related or gardening related it's just you know <laughs> mm. he just had so many you know we talked about the concert for george and you know all those people up there you know i think ken said i'm going to have been associated with him one way or the other you know throughout the years and just to see stuff like you know people talk about him on the the living material world and or people talking about him you know or the people you see you know the concert for george or or whatever i mean whenever you see people talk Talking about him it's just love that they have from i never heard anybody say a bad word about george even um, jackie stewart you know, yeah, yeah. jackie was, stewart you know he was, he was welling up yeah. yeah it's it's just amazing to see the way that everybody you know that has been that has crossed paths with george uh, and the way they talk about um him is is really amazing and we could only be that lucky <laughs> yeah yeah when i when i interviewed klaus vorman you know, I, I got a sense of like their friendship and how they related to each other. Right. And you could you could see how they would be close because, you know, anybody that's if you've ever met Klaus or talked to him or seen him interviewed yeah. there, there's a calm about him. You know, there's mm-hmm. a centeredness and he's not impressed with, you know, celebrity or, right. or any of the fame or any of this stuff. And there's just this very this calm and you're really drawn to it. I think, you know, people say, if you want to get somebody's attention, whisper. And, mm-hmm. I, and I think that you get that sense, you know, like, I, I just love talking to Klaus. I just felt like, <clears throat> like, I, you forget, like, it's Klaus Vorman, and you forget <laughs> his relationship with the Beatles. You're just connecting with this person, you know, and I think there's just this calm. There's just this something about George. And, I, you know, I think, like anybody that would take time to get to know 
I think once you get to know them, it's, it's a little deeper. I think sometimes people are very much on the surface right. where I think George wasn't, I think, you know, what do they say? Still waters run deep, you know? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that it comes through. And, and that's a lot of why I said, why all things must pass is my favorite album because there's, there's so much there lyrically alone right. that, that, you know, it's, it, it is, it's, I, what I always say about that album, it's not an album. It's a monument. It really is. It's just, it's, it's a towering sort of thing. You know, it must've been difficult, I think in some ways for him to do it because it was really his first solo album, you know, and it, there was so much of it and how right. is the public going to react to it? You know? So it must've been a really intense experience for him to make that record, you know? Mm, right. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, I'll, I think, first of all, I, I agree with you. I mean, it's, it's not my number one favorite album of, of all time, but it's a, like top 10, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> top 10, because, uh, mm. because yeah, I, I totally understand what you're saying, Steve. I mean, the, the messages on that album are, are just so profound. Um, you know, it's, I mean, when you really, uh, you know, as time went on, and, and, and it is, it is an album that kind of, you know, grows on you over time. And as you, as you know, you get older, it, it, it even just, just becomes even deeper in meaning, you know, and, and to yes. think how young he was oh, when, yeah. when he I wrote know. that stuff. That Unbelievable. is amazing to think about that. Yeah, I, I know. You know, I mean, what a, what a thinker, you know, what yeah, a philosopher. To be, to be that young. Yeah. I'd heard, uh, you know, BB King was, was, uh, he worked with you too around the rattling yeah. home. And yes. his, home. Yes. his, his observation was, to, he said to Bono, you're so young, like, where does this heaviness come from? Like where, you know, because I, B.B. I, I, King told me this, I interviewed him and he, he talked about it. And it was like, you know, you wonder like th- that people that young have such wisdom. I think people who grew up at that time in England, you know, the war came to them. I mean, they live, yeah. literally lived mm. in a place that was bombed. And however hard we ever have it here in America, other than 9-11, we've never, we've never seen anything like that. Right. So I think to come out of that, mm. I think it, it, you, you, take, you don't take life for granted. You, know, you, really, you really have an appreciation that, is, that, is, that stays with you. And, and I, think that, I think that was part of it too. You know, England is a, is a small country in a lot of ways. You know, London is the only really big city. It's a, it's a little village, England. And I think in Liverpool is even a littler village. Yeah. And so people, there's a tightness. There's a real community. I mean, you read any, obviously you read any of these biographies of the Beatles time in Liverpool. I mean, family is so, you know, central, you know, and community and you're local and, you know, all of that sort of thing. So um, you can see, you can see it, where, where they come from. It's very much still where they came from. Their upbringing is part of it, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think another uh, part of, of his legacy too, is, you know, he really challenged uh, us as, as listeners. I mean, he, uh, you know, both in subject, uh, you know, he challenged us to think, 
deeper, but also uh, in terms of culture. I mean, you know, mm. he introduced us largely uh, to, in, you know, Indian music. Um, and uh, I had certainly, I was not familiar with it at all until I started listening to Beatles and then, you know, listened to some of his solo music. And, it, and it's, um, you know, it, it, it was something that in the West, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, there are different kinds of tempos, different kinds of, uh, you know, things that we're just not used to. And he really, you know, introduced it to us in, in ways, you know, in different ways. I mean, kind of an East meets West kind of fusion. Um, and, you know, really, to, you know, really, I think, opened the doors for world music. That, yeah. uh, that the inner light is yeah. a great mm. example, a song that's kind of obscure, you know, mm-hmm. very much an obscure Beatles song. In a- right. But uh, but that um, and uh, of course within you without you love you too, too which is one of my favorites I love, love I think you that's too. a very underrated Beatles song love you mm-hmm. too that's just my mm-hmm. opinion yep you know? I I agree I agree and so I mean he's I think that's another part of his legacy too is is the you know world music uh, and fusion of all different cultures that you know we're still experiencing today yeah. Good. yeah and and as I've said you know it's one thing to take a sitar and add it to a folk song like Norwegian Wood. It's another thing altogether to create an entire Indian piece from scratch, yeah. like Love You Too. Mm. And like we were just saying, imagine how young he was. So uh, Revolver is 1966, George would have been 23 writing Love You Too. He was 23 oh, yeah. or 24 writing Amazing. Within You, Without You. And it isn't just the music itself and the different instrumentation. It's the Eastern philosophy that he brought along with right. it. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that that's so fascinating about the Beatles is how, is how they're four very different people in their own way. And I wouldn't want it any other way. But, mm-hmm. you know, somebody like Paul McCartney, who I think is always concerned about record sales and commercial success. George Harrison, I think, cared somewhat, especially he I, I believe that he felt fulfilled just from the Beatle years and that initial success he had with All Things Must Pass and the concert for Bangladesh. Living in the Material World was a number one album. But I think overall, he cared more about just putting out music that was meaningful and pleasing to him. Mm. And if it was successful, fine. If it wasn't, that's okay too. And just having that kind of an attitude is something that I think is influential. There's lots of artists out there that don't care as much about commercial success. They care more about the message in their music and what they're saying. And I think George became more of that. He always was that, even in the Beatles. But um, I love that contrast within the Beatles with all four of them who are all different in their own way. But um, yeah, and uh, like you said, Kit, world music, it it really... what George contributed by bringing Indian music was so monumental. Yeah. And there are people who I think were influenced not just by the music, but with what he was saying in his lyrics and with Eastern philosophy. That's one of his biggest contributions. I mean, maybe the biggest in a lot of music in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I marvel I mean, at so the many fact people that... meditate these days and are into yeah. yoga and all. It's such a common thing now. You think a lot of work to do that... try to get a message through <laughs> the the four Beatles were four of the most popular people on the planet at the time 
And for George to say words like, and to know you're really only very small mm. and life flows on within you and without you, that you're really just one out of millions of people. You're not yeah. any more important than anybody else. And he had the guts to say this <laughs> at such a young <laughs> age. To grasp that whole idea is mind-boggling to me. Yeah, it's, it's quite a song. Uh, consider, considering that also it was a track that I dare say a lot of people skipped back yeah. in the day. Uh, mm. I did as a, as a young person. I, mm. I, you know, I didn't really care for it. I love it now. And it yeah. means a lot to me. Mm. For like what you just said. Yep. Mm. So much of what we don't have these days in popular music is groups. I mean, we just don't see rock groups. I mean, it's, it's the, the charts are dominated, you know, mostly by solo artists, by singers, you know, I mean, we just, I mean, Kings of Leon to me, are maybe the last sort of, you know, pop rock group who, you know, obviously had some substance, whether you like them or not, you know, personally, I mean, there's definitely something there, but I, I think what made so many of so much of the music of the sixties, even into the seventies. So great is you have all of these amazing people in one group, the Beatles, the stones, the who, the kinks, pink Floyd, the Yardbirds, the small faces. I mean, I could, you know, I could just keep going on and on here, you know, and in the seventies too, you know, Fleetwood Mac, Steely Dan, the Eagles. I mean, I'm just randomly sort of picking, picking names here, but you know, when you've got two or three or four people who can sing and write songs yeah. and then collaborate together, mm. you know, or groups that just create such unique sounds like Roxy music or traffic. It's just, you know, it's just so you, there's no one else sounds like that. We're now, and you know, maybe it sounds like, you know, oh yeah, you're an old man or whatever. <laughs> it's just, it, it, it just show me some groups, show me where you have mm. people collaborating and creating something organically. Yeah. Plus, you, know? you get so many songs that have multiple writers on these songs. I mean, there's some songs, you know, five, six writers on one song. Why? Right. Not need... for the right reasons. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. yeah. Mm -hmm. exactly. Not for the right reason. <laughs> right. It's just to create a product to sell for, right. for that artist. And that artist is not even an artist anymore. They're a brand now, mm. you yep. know? And it's like, you know, I mean, maybe we shouldn't go down this road, you know, because it's just you know, been such, this. Been such a positive. Right. I think this has been so positive, you know. Don't but, get me started. Don't get me started. That's one of my favorite sayings. So, but, um, you know, I mean, I, I think that's why people still love them today, the Beatles, so much, because Absolutely. it's just there was this group of these four guys and somehow they got together in this place, you know, and, you know, we're still here we are. I mean, you talked about at the top of the show, Ken talking about, you know, the Let It Be reissue entering the charts in the top 10. I mean, there's there won't be anybody who's making music today who will be still making, you know, still be still resonate 50 years from now, let alone 40 or 30 or 20 or probably even 10. Right. You know? Well, nobody knows that for sure. They always say that. true. Nobody you can tell just by ball. looking at 1980 or 1978 no, or whatever. You can't. You know? uh, I, I don't the, believe that. They did what they did in that eight years. And now sometimes it takes a band or, or an artist to do what two band? albums. Two, uh, two well, albums. That's the it thing, I don't, see, I, don't <laughs> see, I don't see groups. I don't see bands. I'm talking it about a miracle. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what was it? It's been thirty-five. So what it was? It was what five years since Adele's last record. I mean, yeah, you know. Yeah, I like her a lot. I think she's great. I like her. I like Adele, but 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 again, the Beatles had what you know seven albums out in five yeah. years. Yeah. Those were Amazing. different times also yeah. when their contracts yeah. demanded that you put yeah, out true. Right. a year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, yep, it was a different time. To their strength, and, and, and I've been saying this for a long time, the Beatles were a group with four vocalists. Mm-hmm. And even though Ringo only wrote two songs, really. I was going to say, uh, can you imagine if he was actually force. a writer? <laughs> yeah, wow. I mean, like, yeah, wow. But it adds so much yeah. when you've got three truly great songwriters in your group mm. and four mm. different vocalists it adds so much there's less than one percent of the bands of all time have you know everyone in the group singing lead vocals mm. you know i'm very happy that at least once in a while the beatles let ringo sing a lead vocal yeah. usually one on an album but you know how many can you think of outside of uh, right you know um the, the Eagles or Badfinger, actually. Yeah. The Eagles, Eagles yeah. yeah. But they're very few. The birds. And then yeah. the Beatles, each of them on their own, had and successful each, solo careers. Thank you. I mean, how many bands are able to say, like, like the Rolling Stones? I mean, nobody cares about those Mick Jagger and Keith Richard albums. Wait, wait, wait. Nobody. I like some of it. I like some Okay. For the, the bulk of the fans. <laughs> I mean, all you got to do nobody is just look cares. at the chart. All you got to do is just look at the, the success of those solo albums. They didn't really do, yeah. you know, have a success of, a, of the Stones. Right. You know, and while some of the, you know, while the Beatles, as solo artists were almost able to equal some of the success that the Beatles had. And you Paul's know, still making amazing Paul's still solo sure albums. I mean, with great his last albums. album, that's a great yeah. album. You know? yep. I, I love it. Yeah, you know, it's, it's incredible to think that even someone like, like Ringo, who you would, you would expect to have the least amount of success, right. still managed to have seven top ten singles and two number one singles in the right. U.S. and two top ten albums. Yeah. And overall, yeah. he had the least amount like we expected but that's pretty darn good that's a career for anybody else yeah, yeah. sure yeah. is and he came out very strong right right out of the, right the, out the, the gate. gate yeah yep. yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> so, cool. so where are we at now all right i think Any comments uh, i don't know if you're checking the comments I, I put my phone down um i had it up open for a while but uh see just seeing if there's put you on the spot (laughs) there's been a there's been a ton of comments here uh let's see oh uh ollie perry uh mentions uh gone trapo is a favorite and and we did an episode on uh gone trapo a part of our another listen series i said it's uh gone trapo is very spiritual to him um and let's see uh also mentions loved his silly songs Hmm. And uh, yep, certainly can't argue there. Uh, Mark, uh, Mark Zekoff says, yeah, George was an old, old soul in a young man's body. Here, here. <laughs> That's for sure. I mean, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's just, um, you know, there's so much to to say about uh, about. Oh, yeah. Uh, John, uh, John Tobacco mentioned George doing. Uh, the pirate song on the yes. Rutland Weekend TV Rutland show. Yeah, TV. Right. George Harrison sings. Yeah. <laughs> God, well, first time yeah. I saw that, I sure got fooled. 
Yeah. Yep, that was hilarious. Yep. Oh my gosh. Well, you have to yeah. my sweet Lord or something. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, many, many comments here. Thank you for sharing all of your your Absolutely. memories and, and all that. We will go through uh you know, we do read your comments and uh you know we thank you for sharing your favorite songs and, and uh memories. A lot of Delaney and Bonnie uh discussion in the right. comments too. Right. So of Delaney and Bonnie. <laughs> Love yep. them. Love a them. lot of comments. Delaney there. left us quite a while ago, but I, yes. I believe that Bonnie is still around. I believe. Yes, she is. I think you're, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think you're right. So, can I add one last thing? Yeah, I wanted to. Um, we haven't mentioned George playing the ukulele. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and he was How a big fan of George Formby. And yes. of course, we all know Paul has done a you know wonderful tribute yeah. for many years now with something playing it with the ukulele. And I do believe in some to some degree, it's helped to boost the popularity of that instrument. Mm -hmm. I know when I spoke to Greg Hawks of the Cars, who put out a CD in which he plays the ukulele of all Beatles songs, he believes that George has been an influence. And there are now uke fests going on wow. in, in the country. So. Um, you know, I'm not saying he single-handedly did it, but I, I think he helped to make the ukulele a more a popular instrument. Mm. And also there's a ukulele player called Jake, Jake Shimabukuro, mm. who is a really great ukulele player, who became really well-known because he performed While My Guitar Gently Weeps in Central Park, and a friend of his recorded it on videotape and posted it on YouTube, and then he got like a million hits, and he got a record contract out of it. Oh, wow. So, um... You know, I think that uh, by George Harrison embracing the ukulele, um, it, it's led to more of a popularity of that instrument. Yeah. Not him yeah, alone, but yeah. 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 I think it was like Tom Petty said something like he always had a truck full that yep. <laughs> yeah. was over the trunk yes. and he would just read, distribute it. Sure yeah. yep. 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 <laughs> yep. Absolutely. <laughs> Very cool. good. Excellent. I'm, I'm all out of ideas. So, uh, all right. kid, if you want to uh, tell people where to, where to find us, that would be helpful. Absolutely. Well, uh, you can find us. Well, first of all, thank you all for, for joining us tonight. And if you want to find out more about us, uh, you can find us on Facebook, uh, Talk More Talk, a Solo Beatles video cast. Uh, you can, uh, of course, subscribe right here to our YouTube channel. We're so glad we can finally broadcast to YouTube live and have fixed our technical issues. So, uh, so of course, subscribe right here to this channel and ring the bell to be notified of uh, new episodes. Um, you can find us on virtually any podcasting platform you can think of. This episode will be up uh, probably by tomorrow or Wednesday. Uh, you can also email us if you have any ideas for future topics, any feedback. Uh, you can email us at uh, talkmoresolotalk at gmail.com. And you can find us on Twitter at talkmoretalk1, the number one. And you can find us on the web at talkmoretalk.com. Mm. We're everywhere. <laughs> and, uh, thanks to so, you kids yeah. <laughs> that's right. and thanks so much you know steve mateo for joining us here yes thank you, thank you so much it was fun i really appreciate it oh, where can where can people find you steve i mean i'm on facebook instagram mostly I, I don't have a website as yet i'm still a little hesitant to to do that but um you know there's the book 
it's on Amazon. Um, I know I've seen it in all. It's it's stocked in all the Barnes and Nobles yes. in the area. Yep. Yeah, um, well, I've it's seen still it. in print. Yeah, <laughs> As John Lennon said, it's the usual rubbish, but it doesn't cost much. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's the bargain you know. we're going to strike up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, you know, pick it up. It's a, it is it is a helpful comp companion for the get back series for people who are just kind of getting into this. It it's, is. It's kind of a a quick short read. It's mm. not a it's not the first volume of Mark Lewison's biography. <laughs> the, the, the British version, the sixteen hundred page version. <laughs> Which I did read, by the way. Oh, I wow. recommend yeah. reading yeah. it. Good for you. It was I don't have the big one. Kevin, <laughs> it was. It's just Mark. That's what she is, said. Mark <laughs> needs to be knighted for what he did <laughs> yeah. with that book. I loved yeah, it. Man. It didn't oh. feel like sixteen hundred pages. You know, mm. I read it and I just. It loved, was. I just, yeah, I agree. It was an amazing read. Yep. All right. Uh, mm. Yep. So check it out. So. Thank you. Let's go go around and say what we're, what we're doing. Uh, I'm doing nothing right now. <laughs> I, I uh, no, I'm taking a I'm taking a break lately. I haven't been in videos in a few days. Although uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I've done about get back, you know, and uh, let it be get back. You know, if you want to check that out on the to me, Mr. Mayo YouTube channel. So um, yeah, that's me, a kid. How about you? Okay, well, tomorrow I am going to be on uh, the Tuesday Night Record Club out of Monmouth University um, with, uh, with Ken Womack, and um, kind of good timing. We are going to talk about Band on the Run. Uh, we are going to, which is celebrating its 48th anniversary. Am I, yep, am I correct? Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And perfect um, album side. Number one, yes, side one, perfect album side. There you go. There you go, Joe. Very true. Uh, side so that, two, awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's a, just no. a darn good album. <laughs> anyway, you look at it. Uh, so we are going to be doing that uh, on Zoom, uh, December 7th at 730 Eastern, and, uh, and it's free to attend. Uh, you can uh, register, and I actually, uh, the link uh, to register is up on our Talk More Talk Facebook page. So you can mm. uh, just go over there uh, and uh, register. My Beatles Christmas gift guide will be up very soon at something else reviews um and uh, i will be doing an episode of my monthly show very soon mm. uh i didn't do one last month because it would have been around get back and well we were all kind of busy <laughs> so decided i'd skip it and uh am doing this month so just uh, follow me on facebook and uh and i will let you know when uh, when i'm going to do my last show of, of 2021 so mm. uh so that's about it for me Wow, 2021 mm. is almost over. 2022 is going to start. The year of Soylent Green, by the way. I am, <laughs> I'm a science fiction fan. Soylent Green took place in the future year. Wow. Of 2022. Really? Oh, my right God. On, That's right scary. on track. <laughs> for it. Scary. Uh, and on that note, Tom, how about you? <laughs> Well, um, well, like you, like like you guys, like Kit and Joe said, you know, um, we we've done a lot of get back um, stuff so much so that we've actually taken a nice little break, which uh, yeah, was good because we got to uh, catch up on some sleep because you know my partner and I, Andy, um, we uh, we watched uh, get back as it was airing at on real time. So he was at three in the morning and I was at uh, one in the morning here in Arizona. And I think Ken, you tried to do that too, didn't you? The first. <laughs> Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah, I struggled um, the first yeah. time. 
so that would that was fine and we went live and that's all there on our youtube channel two legs a paul mccartney podcast so you can check that out there please subscribe we're inching closer to the 900 subscribers um mark so thank you to everybody out there that has been listening and all the new subscribers that have been coming in we really appreciate you guys taking the time um for this month we've we've got um three more shows coming this month we're going to record a um a 50th anniversary wildlife show tomorrow night with our our friend and youtuber norman masloff who goes by mazzy Uh, he's got a great uh channel on youtube so check that out um we're going to do part three of our best friend um series with our good buddy uh anthony rotuno over at the glass onion on john lennon uh podcast and then uh, we're going to end out the year with our with our year year in review uh show and we'll go back and and talk about um mccartney's year and all the releases that um that i i happily purchased uh (laughs) um throughout the year and and all of them as a matter of fact i mean it was it was a pretty pretty expensive year i don't know if it was expensive as as some some uh years Uh, maybe 18 was i think it was a pretty expensive uh year but uh, this was right up there with it so but a great time a a lot of great releases um so again please check us out on our youtube channel uh two legacy paul mccartney podcast and uh and we're everywhere everywhere else too thanks to andy and and getting us all on those audio uh platforms as well so that's it all right and how about you kenneth michaels kenneth (laughs) okay that's what it says joseph Well, on my other podcast, uh, Things We Said Today, by the way, I just wanted to say thanks to everybody who watched the interview that we did with Peter Jackson. I can't believe it. We got 25,000 views for that. That's great. Well-deserved. I can't believe it. New subscribers to the podcast, new subscribers to my YouTube channel. It's all been going up, 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 up. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) we have have Peter Jackson (laughs) to thank for that and to all you guys for watching we had so much fun with peter and like i said i think after almost four hours there were no questions left but now <laughs> having watched get back there are right. questions i want right. to ask him. anyway but uh thanks to all of you and for all the nice comments on youtube that we've gotten for that interview and we just did an, uh, a show where we reviewed get back mm. and then uh kind of like us our next show which is next week We'll do a tribute to George Harrison as well. Um, also on my YouTube channel, my most recent interview was with Ken Womack and Jason Krupa talking about the, the book, All Things Must Pass Away. Um, this coming week, I'll be interviewing Bruce Spizer and Al Sussman for Bruce's new book, which okay. is all about the period after Sgt. Pepper, the Our World broadcast, mm. Magical Mystery Tour, the film, the album, the Yellow Submarine album and film, Ladies uh, Madonna single, everything but the White Album. It's like that whole period <laughs> right there through the right. beginning of uh, 1969. So I'll be interviewing them, and that'll be on my YouTube channel, which is Ken Michaels Radio. Um, also hey, Ken, on my Ken, website. Real, real quick, yeah. Ken, uh, Mark uh, says you need to schedule that follow-up interview uh, with Peter Jackson uh, pronto. Okay, I'll, I'll make sure to make those demands <laughs> to Peter. <laughs> He's got nothing better to do. You know, no, the, well, the pronto, pronto was, was my uh, comment. Uh, but uh... Okay. <laughs> I'll get right on that, Mark. Yeah, Thank okay. you. Um, yeah. I mean, how much more can you ask of the guy anyway? Right. But, um, on my website, I'll have a very big special contest coming soon 
concerning yellow submarine. If I can mm. find the book, here it is. I know what book you're talking about. It's all in the mind. Uh, yes. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> I'll be giving away yes. a copy of that book and a is lot of. Is that part of, two? Yes. Okay. I'll be giving this away along with Yellow Submarine memorabilia in Ooh. one big package, and that'll be kind of like something. Probably start the middle of December, leading into Christmas, and uh, just visit my website kenmichaelsradio.com for that. On the home page, it'll lead you to the special contest page, which will tell you how to win. Hmm. So that's coming up, and I should be interviewing uh, the two authors, yes. Laura uh, Cortner and Dr. Bob. Hmm. So nice. uh, they were already guests on things we said today, but um, I've got a lot of leftover questions and very important questions to repeat in my interview with them, which will be coming very soon. And uh, every single week, there's Beatles trivia on my Beatles trivia and games page. You can win one of 10 prizes, books, CDs, and DVDs. Just like last week, there'll be another let it be trivia question. And this one's going to be one of my easiest trivia questions ever. And I'm going to put that up right after we finish here. <clears throat> so visit KenMichaelsRadio.com. And don't forget, that's every single week we do the Beatles trivia thing. <laughs> Dr. Bob. Reminded me of a skit from Saturday Night Live in the during the 70s where they were backstage for a Kiss concert. And yeah. Bill, Bill Murray's character was trying to get in backstage. And then, you know, he's going through who he is. He's not on the list. And then all of a sudden, here comes this guy with this tank of something <laughs> on other. And he goes, I'm Dr. Bob. And he goes, he's on the list. He's in. <laughs> you got a great memory for this. Yeah. Stuff. <laughs> Wow. Oh, all right. Well, uh, Steve, anything doing? I don't want to leave you out. I mean, you after all you guys like said, I mean, I think I'm going to get some gas tomorrow. <laughs> maybe do some shopping. I mean, now, actually, uh, Kit mentioned something else reviews. I actually write for them also. Oh, cool. And um, any minute they will be posting my review of uh, the new Pink Floyd reissue of A Momentary Lapse of Reason mm -hmm. on vinyl. Ooh. So I'm looking forward to that. And um, I think I sent a link to all of you of um, recent stuff I've been doing for, right. uh, it's called The Vinyl District. It's a website and uh, I'm a contributing editor there. And so I reviewed the Let It Be Vinyl box set. Mm, uh, I reviewed the Get Back book. Um, I any Probably tomorrow, Wednesday, they'll post my review of the Paul McCartney lyrics uh. book. And I think right after that, I don't know if you're aware that they've just reissued Encouraging Words, the Billy Preston yes, album. Yes, got that. Yep. The I second, have heard about the, that. Yep. the second Apple album yep. that yep. he did. So I plan on reviewing that. Excellent. Uh, I just got that. I haven't sat down and listened to it. I'm really glad they reissued that. I mean, mm -hmm. vinyl especially. So that's really, that's really, and it's, it's Billy's estate that more or less uh, put the wheels in motion to have universal music put that out right. i don't think it's really something that no it's it's a did. limited release and it was just a yeah. first celebration for his being inducted into the rock and roll hall right of fame. right yeah. so yeah i write pretty frequently for the vinyl district so oh, cool. i've got a bunch of stuff that i've done for them over the last several i reviewed the george harrison uh the i think it was the nine lp set yeah my review wow. is in there and um you know 
keeping busy, not as busy as you folks. Oh, <laughs> I do tend to sleep in the evening. My eight hours. Oh my God. So it's the vinyl district. The, the name vinyl of the district. Right. Okay. Excellent. And right. something else reviews, something which we, else we reviews. Right for. So great. Yep. Excellent. Yep. Cool. All right. So I think that's the end of the road. All right. Road. All right. <laughs> so for Kit, Tom, Ken, and Steve, this is Joe Mayo saying, can't say what I'm doing here, but I hope to see much clearer. I'm <laughs> living in the material world. <laughs> see ya. Bye, Take care, everybody. Bye. Bye. What?